This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This is the besotted pride of West London podcast. And we've got a big match on Saturday. A very big match on Saturday because we are playing some very, very rich hosts. And um, as we know, we always go on tour. We go on pub tour, West London. We go to all sorts of different pubs around London. So we didn't have a bit of a laugh each week. But but today, we, we really didn't want to show ourselves up. We didn't really want to be showed up at all. So we had to go proper upmarket today we had to show our hosts on Saturday that we're proper upmarket like them so we decided we had to find a pub with money so we found a pub called the Banker the Banker pub in Cousins Lane just near Cannon Street Station and an absolutely marvellous pub I mean I was here a couple of hours ago and there was no one here now it's full of bankers full of people with money money hanging out of their pockets on the floor sort of rolling around people are rolling around in money in this place it's unbelievable isn't it lady? Yeah, I've never seen so much wedge in my life, mate. It's just like proper, just money everywhere, mate. It's just like, I've never, well, it's just almost raining money. I mean, it's actually put us in fairly good stead, because obviously when you go to Stamford Bridge, there's so much wedge going around there. So uh, I feel a little bit more comfortable now anyway, like, you know. But, I mean, if you haven't known, we're actually playing Chelsea on Saturday. Chelsea in the Cup, in the FA Cup. We were in the hat for the first time in Christ knows how many years. Probably about, what, three or four or five years, and... It felt really good, didn't it? It did, it did. Well, you know, especially when I was watching all the draw come out and you kind of saw Ipswich and then Norwich and Derby. and It, it could have been any of them. And I was going, no, no, no. You realise, right, you know, people say the, the magic of the cup draw, magic of the cup's been lost. The magic of the cup draw certainly hasn't. Don't matter what round you're in, there's places you just don't want to go to. So you get a relief when it's not your round and then you see a name that you want and you kind of urge it to be yours. And obviously when Chelsea came out you think oh yeah I'll have some of that and then when it said Brentford then you know yeah happy happy days um, you know um, we come away from Loftus Road singing West London is ours and we'll be singing that again Saturday afternoon <laughs> yeah so so listen the Banker pub is wicked pub as well absolutely great views I mean this is the first time we've actually done a podcast with we're sitting here on a window proper proper views over the river as well you know, I feel like a bit of a tourist you know so um what are you saying? I mean, I mean, I'm Billy Grant, as we know, and I've got I've got the mates in the pub. Usual, usual rabble here. 
But um, like I said, usual bunch of bankers. <laughs> Indeed, like you know, Dave Lane. How are you? I'm very good, mate. I'm very good. I've had a good week. Um, I'm. I'm, I, I, this is an old haunt of mine. I used to work at the Financial Times right across the river from here. So you, you, you know all about the money, didn't you? Yeah, I'm, I know all about the money. Um, so, yeah, we used to come here on rotation. There was a real drinking culture there, so we wouldn't want to be in the same pub for more than three times in the same week. But we, we came here regularly. Um, so I'm, I'm very familiar with this place. And when the river's high, it gets a bit scary because your river can lap up around the windows here so um, it's almost like a bit of a submarine sometimes and there's a gym next door that I used to go to occasionally so yeah I feel like it's home from home. Home from home and on Saturday again Chelsea loads of money but I'm just wondering what is the most ostentatious thing that you've ever seen at a football match? Um, the most ostentatious thing I've ever seen at a football match was seeing Roman Abramovich come away from I think it was I forgot what game it was I think it was England England Switzerland in Coimbra during the um, Portuguese Euros and he came out of there I remember walking behind him and he had about 25 security staff all obviously Russian military with fingers in their ears and they got in they walked towards a helicopter and they flew back to his yacht where they had a helicopter we later on got back to in Lisbon um, and uh, we, we we saw his yacht so small yeah. yacht wasn't it um, it was a big boat, mate. It was a bit big, big old dinghy. Yeah. Ridiculous, ridiculous. But listen, the Allard, the Allard is back. I mean, we missed the Allard for a few weeks. The Allard has been on tour, international tour, haven't you? Yep, I've been. Yep, I've been. Um, it's been very, very cold where I've been. Um, so yeah, doing a bit of winter sport, either end of the spectrum. Um, a little bit of skiing, which probably people will be like, oh, fucking skiing, skiing, and 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 some curling as well, which. Um, which actually, if, if I'm brutally honest with you, I actually, I actually find that as much fun as the skiing. It's all, it's um, yeah, good stuff. I mean, I mean, cur- I mean curling. I've never done curling. I've seen it obviously on the Olympics or in the sports stuff like that. I mean, how exactly does that work? What do you do? I mean, you have to sort of stretch your. Is it like sort of bowling on, on ice, really? Yeah, I think, but I think bowls on ice is the best description of it. Or boule if you're French. Um, you know, it's basically yeah. There's like a there's like a target, and you have to get your your stones as they are nearest to the target. Um, and um, it's, but it, it, what I like about it, it's one of them sports you can actually play for about 10 minutes um, with a group of people that have never played it before and then you can get really fucking competitive straight away. Sounds very middle class, mate. Is it, so, is it, like, is it like the old, um, what do they call it, um, on the lawn? Croquet. It's a bit like posh croquet in St. Moritz. Uh, it's very working class in Canada and also very popular in Scotland, as I'm, sh- as I'm sure you know. Along with, and okay, maybe a stereotype here, haggis throwing here. Yeah, something like that. Um, or you could say that, you know, obviously I was starting to prepare myself for the Chelsea game this weekend and our visit to, you know, to Stamford Bridge. That's right, that's right, that's right. And also in the studio, well, the pub really, as you know, <laughs> the studio of us today, we've got Gary Hayes from the Chelsea podcast. Gary, how you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Enjoying being here. I've got to say, this is better than the Chelsea podcast setup because you've got pizzas, beers, you're doing it on a budget, whereas um, Chelsea, it's just bog standard we, I guess it's, it's flipping it you, you guys have got the, the lavish podcast and we've got the lavish club and what we do is we toss up at the end of the day and who loses the toss has to pay for it all mate <laughs> should, should we do it whoever loses on Saturday pays for it all <laughs> we're actually we're going to play curling to decide who pays for it 
So listen, Gary, I mean, obviously, um, you know, we've all seen ostentatious things at football. And, I mean, it's not fair asking you because, you know, you probably see ostentatious things every week, you know. As you sit in your seat, you look beside you, there's probably with gold slippers and sort of purple ties and sort of, you know, sort of kind of, you know, rings in their eyes and stuff like that. I mean, what's the most ostentatious thing you've ever seen? Well, normally on a match day, because I work as a journalist by trade, so I'm in the press box, so normally it's like a journalist gut or something like that I normally see next to me. But... um, Normally, uh, yeah, most ostentatious film, I'd say, uh, Tony Pulis's wash bag. Because he, he trades as being this um, this tracksuit manager, but he comes into press conferences and stands up and has his wash bag and puts it at the front of the table, almost gloating that he can he can afford this Louis Vuitton knockoff. But um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd probably say that really. You see a lot, but that's the most surprising thing to see, I'd, I'd say. You mentioned the two most ostentatious things you could think of, which was purple tie and rings in their eyes <laughs> well it depends if it's a diamond ring and it's also sort of kind of purple sort of opaz sort of thing going on opaz yeah. <laughs> lovely, lovely thing. anyway and for me <laughs> but, but the most ostentatious thing I've seen other than, other than rings in their eyes <laughs> rings in their eyes <laughs> sorry about this Listen, he's obviously never seen anyone with rings in their eyes, but the most ostentatious thing I've ever seen was, you remember when Sacco came down to Brentford and he had those diamond-encrusted boots, okay? Sacco shit. Yeah, so um, Sacco came down from Wolverhampton Wanderers and he he played something like 50 games, all of 50 games for them. You know what I'm saying? He racked up 50 games. So he thought, oh, no, I'm going to get some sort of kind of Swarovski diamond-encrusted boots. And he came out with these diamond-encrusted boots and I thought it was absolutely ridiculous, totally ostentatious and not at Griffin Park at all. But anyway... Did we beat them 3-0 or something? I think we beat them 3-0 as well. And those diamond-encrusted boots went into the bin and they were never seen again. But anyway, we move on. Listen, we've got loads to talk about today. It's actually going to be an action-packed podcast in the Boozer. Tonight we're going to be talking about the Wigan match. Actually, not very much at all because it was absolutely rubbish about that. We're going to be talking about the transfer window again. And we've even signed a player today, which we told you exclusively about a couple of weeks ago. We went Dutch, didn't we? We signed a Dutch player. And we're going to talk about him and other bits and pieces. And also the nonsense about the transfer window. What else are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about... oh. The academy, the B teams and academies and youth team players will try and squeeze that in. And also the Chelsea match and Riverall Nick's going to come on and he's going to start moaning about something as he does as well. And also we've got an ex-Brentford player, Scott Barron, who played against Chelsea four or five years ago in the FA Cup. He came on and uh, he's going to tell us about the experience of the Brentford players and himself for that Chelsea match last time as well. But before we do that, let's go back to last weekend, if we really have to, and go back to Wigan, where we played them, should have beaten them, because they're fairly rubbish, but we didn't beat them because we were rubbish. They scored two goals, we scored one, but we're going to go and listen to what the fans had to say in the pub after the match. Well, yeah, there weren't very many tackles put in. You can see Harley was bottling out of every tackle that came his way, and it was just a really flat performance. Nothing there to gain any positives from, um, and very forgettable. It's just a good day out room by the football again, really. We push got, up Brentford! Listen, we've got to push up Brentford, man! Push up Brentford! Listen, push, push up Brentford, man. Listen, obviously, listen, obviously, listen, I mean, I'm not being funny, but I'm not, I'm not a rocket scientist here, but obviously Brentford didn't push up at all today, did they? I did not, no, not at all. No. No. Asleep in the first half, woken up in the second half. No aggression. Fire! They want fire, fire. in my belly. Yes. Oh, well, I've got another the coach now. Yeah, fire, fire in the belly. So push up Brentford, man. What do you reckon? I mean, is it all about Chelsea? No. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well said. They didn't didn't seem 
same intensity as there was against Newcastle. Um, so yeah, the Chelsea factor, no Hogan again. Perhaps that's a bit distracting. Um, a bit that's confidence. After the goal, they seemed a lot more confident for, for a little while, but um, yeah, I don't know really. I mean, Scott Hogan must be sitting there thinking, tell you something, I want to play against Chelsea, surely. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult situation, isn't it? If, if he is injured, then he's injured, but you, you know, you get a sense it's a bit of a tarky situation where he's he's uh, hoping for a move, don't you? So, uh, yeah, would you let him back in? I, I don't know, he's, he's too good to leave out, but. Yeah. Yeah, it surprised me that. I thought we were, um, you know, we've had two wins now. I weren't sure whether we make it three because uh, you're a good side and uh, you showed it in patches, but uh, I think the first half an hour was, was dreadful. Then suddenly uh, Sam Morsey, lad we got back from Barnsley, was a um, different class, really, and uh, two quick goals. And, uh, yeah, he seemed, he seemed out of it, which is, uh, I think we've climbed out of it and you, you, you boys must be worried. And uh, yeah, and, and the thing is, we're playing Man United next week, so uh, we've got we've got something to play for as well. They're the ones who want the shirts. And uh, Wild Chuck missing for us. Um, obviously, Scott Ogre missing for you, uh, and that's perhaps having an impact impact on the way you're playing. But um, yeah, I mean, and we we just desperately needed the three points to get us out of the drop zone. So uh, hopefully, we'll both stay up, and uh, you'll forgive us this one. And good luck against Chelsea for you and United for us. It certainly wasn't as bad as Norwich, but to try to find any positives out of today's game. I'm sorry, I can't find any at all. We did score a goal. We did score a goal, but it went off the bar. It bounced around a few people, but it was a goal. We've got to look beyond that, though, and look at the rest of the performance from the rest of the team. It didn't appear. I mean, it was all revolving around Hogan, those, those little uh, rumours, weren't they? Indeed, yeah, that's what we've heard so far. But why how can something like that affect a team so drastically who hasn't played with Hogan for the past two games we've achieved some fantastic results notwithstanding the Newcastle loss but the review from that was fantastic but why I don't get it I'm confused and we're playing Chelsea next week we've got no idea whether or not Hogan's going to be there or he's not going to be there technically he's our player we're paying him X amount of money and we bought him back he was, he was injured for uh, what nearly two seasons and we flew him over to America and did lots of things with him yeah technically the club may think you know we want to put him in mothballs but we're playing Chelsea we want him to play next week don't we I don't know Bill if the deal's done the deal's done and hopefully but the deal's not done the deal's not done at the end of the day so if, if the deal's not done, if the deal's not, not done, done, should we play him? Absolutely, because he's been a paid-up member of the Brentford football team. Therefore, if he's a member of the squad, then he should be playing fully, full-heartedly with the team and getting on with it. But if he's sold, he should be sold. But at the end of the day, business is there to be done. And you've just touched on the point. We can't have any more of this messing about. He's either being sold or he's not being sold. So fans in the pub after the Wigan match both Brentford fans and Wigan fans. Wigan fans were really happy with the way they played. They obviously got Man United on Saturday and they're saying that their players were fighting for, you know, for a position in, 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 in the match. As Brentford players, literally, were sort of kind of shine out of all sorts of tackles and they just didn't look interested. And it's terrible for the fans that went up. I don't even know how many fans went up there. There's probably about the usual four, five hundred of us up there. And it was absolute nonsense. And, it, you know, some of them left, you know, 20 minutes to go. Dog catcher, I know that you were in the pub, mate, with 20 minutes to go. And I don't blame you, mate. I wish I followed you. It was absolutely freezing. But we had to do the post-match podcast and chat to a few people and find out what's going on. And you've heard exactly what they're going to say. Now, listen, a lot of people say, you know, Wigan, and I'm going to ask around the table here as well, 
I feel that to a certain extent, there's two things that sort of kind of flip this game. First of all, the Hogan scenario, which may have got the, all the players, their heads all over the place. That was the first thing. But also, I think that our eyes were on the Chelsea match as well. And I think that's very much, you know, part of this scenario. Laney, what do you think? Three things here, really. I mean, to, to actually go to Wigan in the first place, it actually takes a real big decision. You know, you, you have to justify doing that journey. Yeah, you're, you've got your week in, week out as, like, don't miss a game, B's, you're going to go to every game. But to justify to yourself and your loved ones and your family that you're actually going to go to Wigan on Saturday, um, it, it, takes a, it takes a lot of persuasion. And, I, and I'd say if you... It's all right if your club turns up, your team turns up, and they put in a performance. But if they can't be bothered, it makes you just—you're a long way from home, and you're kind of thinking, "What the hell have I done?" And I think it's 500 bees fans just thought, "What the hell have I done? I could have been doing anything else apart from being here." Because if the players don't want to be here, why the hell should I be here? And we're paying good money to be up at Wigan. Um, so there's that. Um, why why Brentford wouldn't want to? do all they could to win that game when Wigan, look at, you know, you've got to look at the league table and you think they're there for the taking um, and we, we, we find ourselves 2-0 down at the break how the hell does that happen um, and then you, you've got to ask your question how come your, how come your, your best player or your, your, your leading goal scorer has made himself unavailable or he's got, a, he's got a phone call the night before the game and it's put him in the wrong frame of mind you know how how can that happen? Why why aren't they in this bubble and and um, not 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 able to get influence that way? I think the I think um, I think the Hogan thing we can we you know we can talk about it in a bit more depth if we if we're going to talk about the transfer window shortly and I think that would be good to try and explore that and understand some other stuff going on in the transfer window. I think in terms of the players, you know, did they not turn up? I, I've, I've been trying to get my head around this, you know. That you don't try, or or there's something in your head, you know. This I, I don't believe players went out there thinking, right, we're playing Chelsea next weekend. I don't want to get injured. Um, I don't want to get booked. I don't think they they thought that way. But does it meant? Do you sort? Of, is it in the back of your head? Is there something going on that just means you're not on the, you know, you know, you're not 100 percent, and maybe you're at 98, 97 percent. Is that enough of a difference? But I mean, say for example, Harley Dean's on nine yellow cards. If he got one more yellow card, from what I can get he would have been out of the Chelsea game so that must be playing on his mind yeah I mean maybe maybe it is I'd like to think it wasn't um, because you know ultimately our bread and butter is the league um, you know and I'm and, uh, yeah so I, I don't know it's difficult to say I, I've been trying to think of some analogies or, or something similar that we might go through and I've really struggled to think of anything apart from you know like when you go on holiday you don't want to get a cold so you keep fucking making sure you wash your hands or something before you go away but I, other than that I can't come up with anything so I don't know whether but, but I do think it's something in the back of their heads rather than you know they're, they're going into a game I know I, I'm not exactly qualified like you guys are to talk on a, a Brentford side of it but I always find that shocking with players that if they are trying to hold themselves back for what they deem to be a bigger game because they're meant to be professionals and it's almost like they're not turning up because they want to play at Chelsea the next weekend and I just think that's deplorable, really. They're professionals. They're paid to, they're paid to do a job. And whether it's Wigan, Chelsea, 
for, in, in the Chelsea case, Brentford at the weekend, that they've got to turn up and do a job. I'm mean, going to ask you a question because obviously you probably almost like had more experience of this than us because obviously Chelsea, you know, you've got your league, you've got the FA Cups, you've got the League Cups, you've got the Champions League, you've got the Europa Cups, you've got the Cup of Soup, sorry, Super Cup that you did years, you know, years ago. So you, That's right. And you've got all sorts of different, you know, juggling that goes on with you. So obviously with Chelsea as well, you must have scenario like, I'll say for example, my mate, big, big Chelsea season ticket holder, and he just said to me, actually, I hope you win on Saturday. Right, I hope you win on Saturday. I hope you put the kids out because I, I, I want us to concentrate on the league. You've got a game against Liverpool a few days later. So, obviously, the same sort of thing must go on in your players' heads as well. Yeah, I don't think it's so much like saving themselves, but you see that, that squad rotation. Like you'll see um, on Saturday that uh, Chaloba will play. Maybe Nathan Ake will, will make his first appearance this season after coming back from Bournemouth. Uh, you might see Ruben Loftus-Cheek play in Batshuayi, but... That's more strategy over, you know, if anything, that is being professional because what you've got is a manager making selection with, you know, juggling competitions, whereas what you guys were saying there, the players not turning up because they're, not, they're pulling out of tackles because they don't want to get injured. Uh, to be honest, if, if it was the case, and I've already voiced my, you know, I think this is a subconscious thing rather than players being able to do it, maybe the fucking answer is that Dean Smith says before the game, Right, all the 11th places, they're up for grabs next weekend. Go out and earn the fucking shirt. Did you, as the last winners of the Zenith data, did you keep the cup? Like, did you nick it like you won the, like you nicked the London War Cup? Because you were the last winners of that and you kept it and we won it and we won, it, we won our cup back. Well, I, I, I think they did. And because um, it, 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 it used to be on display at, at Chelsea and then obviously they started winning things and you can't see it anymore. But I'm sure somewhere. Or maybe Abramovich has melted it down to, I don't know, make a mirror or something in one of his Bentleys. But, um, maybe he's got rings in his eyes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe he's melted it down for some rings in his eyes. Yeah. But um, no, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure they've got it still. Because they, they, they've even, because even, it's a, you know, obviously they're, win- they're winning things now, but they, they, they thrive on any, any trophy whatsoever. That they've even got the Premier League Asia Cup, which is a pre season trophy. They've still got that on display in the museum. So I'm pretty sure they've still got that Zenith Data Cup. So I think because they, they won the the, uh, the full members' cup, I think it was '86. I think they've still got that as well. Thieves! Thieves! Uh, <laughs> sort of cup cup hoarding going on in Chelsea, isn't it? You know, you know you, as many cups as you have, you know, it's sort of like egg cups and everything like that in their cabinet. But listen, they can have their cups, you know. But we're still going to come down there because apparently it's our cup final. That's what everyone keeps telling us. Uh, so we'll see how it goes as we come down the river on the boat on Saturday. But we'll talk about that a little bit later because before that. We need to go into the transfer window because the transfer window is not over yet. We've still got a week and a little bit to go. And Brentford have even signed a player today, um, which we talked about for the past few weeks. Apparently, um, the medical is going on now, Bill. The the medical is going on now, but we'll we'll come on to that in a little bit now. But we're going to talk now about all sorts of elements about the transfer window. So the transfer window is upon us. And uh, we're delighted to say that um, Brentford have almost, not quite, at this time here because like I said we were at the Baker pub by the river looking over and seeing the boats go past all the London Bridge and all sorts of stuff we've even got trains going underneath actually Cannon Street Station so if you hear a bit of a let's get ready to rumble which was uh, last week's podcast so we won't go into that if you hear a let's get ready to rumble going on that's the train going under Cannon Street which is not striking because Southern Rail is actually going till probably about 9 o'clock tonight but anyway but listen we are here going to be talking about the transfer window because we signed a new player 
Uh, his name well, is. We haven't quite signed him yet. Apparently, the medicals happening right now. There's um, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what 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 what, what does happen in the medical. Are they count counting his knees at the moment? He's got two knees. Um, I don't know what star jumps happen next on press ups. I don't know. I mean, his name Florian uh, Florian uh, Joseph Zoom. So Florian Joseph Zoon. It is easy for me to say. He's a Dutch player. He's a Dutch under-19 player as well. He plays for um, PSV. PSV Eindhoven as well. He actually played for PSV Eindhoven in their championship season, 2014-2015. He got injured half the way through that season, but he played. He's pretty much an ever-present then as well. So he's out for a year, then he came back at the end of the following year. And again, he played at the back end of that season when they won the championship again. So he's obviously got a bit of pedigree. You know, he's, it's, like, it's, it's like playing for Man United or, you know, Chelsea or, or Arsenal and then coming out the side. So, you know, he's obviously been injured for a while. So whether or not he'll be... You know, up to the same kind of scratch, we don't know, but obviously that's what the medical now is uh, actually showing. But like I said to you, I've got no idea what they uh, they do in medicals, and I mean the Allard. I, I know that you talked a bit earlier because I think you've got more of a clue than we do. I've got no idea what goes on with a football player's medical. All I remember is the medical. It used to be a medical you'd have at school um, as as a lad, and there was always this rumour there'd be like some cold spoon under your balls or something <laughs> and then you'd have to and then you'd have to cough so maybe maybe they do that cough and drop wouldn't it yeah cough and drop yeah yeah maybe that goes on and then there was always and there was the wall chart where you had to read the letters to you know check yeah. your so maybe they do a bit of that too maybe, uh, maybe Cliff Crown's warming his um, latex glove up <laughs> I'm not. I'm not quite sure if that's quite happening. I know Gary. I mean, obviously, like you, you know, Chelsea have bought about three million players over the last three weeks. So you have medicals all the time. So you must have more experience in this than we do. Yeah. Well, the problem is they sign him and then they loan him out straight away. So you don't really get to see him. And you don't know what goes on behind the scenes. But um, yeah, I think their medical department's fairly, uh, fairly well versed, and they've got a good injury record as well. So. Um, I think you should be more worried about Arsenal because they get so many injuries. I'm not sure what they do on their medicals because players sign for them, they suddenly become made of glass. So um, it'll be interesting to see what they do on theirs at least. Do you think, so basically I think what you're saying is that maybe there, there's one thing missing, there should be a glass test in the medical which is actually missing. Yeah, m- maybe just throw stones at them and see if they break or something like that, I don't know. Maybe like a, uh, a Monty Python sketch, bury them and stone them and see if they get out of it. Maybe they're seeing if he's got any rings in his eyes. <laughs> the fact is that you know, obviously he must be made of he must be made of granite if he's got rings in his eyes. You know he could probably run he could walk, he could run through walls. I'm sure there's something else you could throw rings at as well to see if they get on there. <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 I'm trying to think back to the school medical and all of that sort of weird shit that went on. Okay, wait, wait. It's come from my. I, I okay. Think so okay, star jumps. Okay, do you think that star jumps might be part of the medical? Oh, undoubtedly. If, if, if star jumps aren't part of the statistical yeah. modelling, then I don't want any part of this. I want my Brentford back. D- changing the theme slightly, I know they're part of the fitness test before a match. Because uh, what they do is they're trying to test the flexibility of players. And um, this is going for a Brentford player, marginally. But uh, Ron Harris, I, I spoke to him about you know uh, fitness test back in the 70s. And apparently they're the same. Where they get the players to stand and do 10 star jumps and they sprint for 10 metres. If they can do it, they play. I, I would imagine with Rod Harris, I also like to check if he could kick somebody quite hard. <laughs> Punch him in the face, would it? <laughs> yeah, I won't say anything more on that because uh, I'll end up being in some sort of perjury case or something <laughs> libelous. Um, I, I think star jumps are an essential part of any of any medical. Um, I, I do like this um, cold spoon around the genitals. I think that is, that has to be part of it. Um, I also think um, 
tolerance of Chinese burns. Fair enough. But listen, let's move on anyway. Like I said, too. So Florian Joseph soon. We're going to. We can't presume that Ian. We're still waiting to find out. Um, from our Dutch contacts um, uh, out there whether or not the Joseph soon is going to pass the, the, the test but we're going to be telling as if he is going to do but just to say you know what he's like he's um, 25 years old he started off at IX was there for a couple of years and then he went from IX and he went to a couple of clubs he went to Neck Breeder as well which I think um I think that breeder, I think that's where um, um, Marinus Dijkhausen went for a little bit. I'm not 100% sure, but I think he did as well. And then who's the old Brentford manager? And then the RK uh, Warwick, which uh, I haven't heard of that team actually, but another Dutch team. RKC Warwick. He was there you for quite a while. Up, yeah, yeah, I did make it up, actually, so he never played for them at all. And then after that, he went to PSV. And like I said to you, he was at PSV. He was in their side that won the championship. He got injured half the way through. He was out with... Um, ACL injury, which is very similar to a uh, knee injury, which is so, very similar to, to Scott Hogan. And then uh, he came back at the back end of last season. He played, uh, oh, he appeared in about nine or ten games as well. And he's been off and on between there and the reserve side. And like I said, we've been finding, we've been watching him, well, we found out this quite a few weeks ago as well. We've watched him, we've seen him on video as well. He's fast, um, again, you know, assists, scores, you know, not loads of goals, you know what I'm saying? So he's a bit of an assisted player, but, you know, he does play for one of the top three sides in the Dutch Eredivisie. Um, a little update, um, besides sources tell us the, um, the fitness test, he's, um, he's, um, he's, he's playing, um, he's trying to juggle at the moment. With, juggle what? Juggle with tennis balls, three tennis balls at once. With his hands or with his feet? Oh, anything. Any other part of his body. <laughs> listen, listen, I'll tell you something, there's not, there's not many places you're going to get live updates, even though you're going to hear it tomorrow, so you'll know exactly what's gone down. But you, the, the difference is that people won't know exactly what's been going down actually in, 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 in the medical today. All they'll hear that he's passed, but they won't know all the things that he's had to go through. All, oh, all, ca- oh. catching, catching peanuts in his mouth by flicking them with his thumb. That's right, you know, and lots of people sort of normally do that at Christmas time, but we can move on from that. But anyway... Transfer window is actually quite a serious time because especially for clubs like us, I mean, we've got a certain amount of money and uh, we've got players at the moment now that we'd probably like to buy, but we can't buy them because we want to sell some players, but we can't sell them because we've been, what's the word, dicked around, I suppose it is. And uh, we get dicked around, but everyone gets dicked around in the transfer window because the transfer window is one month long of absolute nonsense, mayhem, why is the transfer window as long as it is? And I'm going to ask that question. I'm going to throw it out to everybody because maybe somebody will be able to tell me why is the transfer window a month. Gary? Why is it a month? Yeah, come on, Gary. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of a good answer and I can't think of one. I, I just don't think there should be a transfer window at all because I think especially for clubs outside the Premier League, for instance, you guys, if you lose Hogan, it's going to ruin the next six months for you leading up to when... You might want to try getting a late promotion push in terms of trying to you know, sneak back into the playoff positions. Obviously, you, you might get sucked in further down if you keep losing to teams like Wigan. So it, un- it unsettles players, it unsettles teams. But then also, I think just, just putting a Chelsea spin on it. I, rem- I remember back in, it was 20 years ago now, 96, 97, and, and Chelsea signed Zola in October from Parma. And that changed Chelsea's season. And Chelsea went on to finish in the top six for the first time, I think, since 1990. And... Um, and then they went on to win the FA Cup and Zola was the reason for doing it and he got the PFA Player of the Year that year as well. So I, I, I don't believe in transfer windows at all and all it does is give Jim White a career. The Allards. Yeah, well, you know, it's a long-standing thing that I can't bear the transfer window. In fact, that's why I've been away on holiday. Um, so uh, for me, to be honest, I'm, I'm not, 
I don't actually know if it would work just having this open transfer window all season because all this shit would go on during the season. Um, I haven't really thought this through apart from for 10 minutes on the train on the way up here. But surely the solution is to have one transfer window when no one's playing um, so there's no disruption to the season and then just have um, like a free loan thing the rest of the season probably not within the same league because I know that caused some controversy before something like that um, but it does affect Chelsea too I mean Costa's been rumbling on to go, will he won't he go to China China's transfer window lasts beyond our one it, it, it could scupper you too you know it's 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 something that does affect you know I, I, I'm gonna I'm right in the middle of writing an article about how the, the the Chinese league will kill the Premier League because they're going to buy every every great player there is. Money's no object there, so you know the, the, this transfer window does impact the, even the top four now. May, it may may not be this window, but the next one and, the, and probably the next five, we'll see we'll see we we'll see Ch- China come in and, and uh, derailing the champions. Yeah. Sorry, I wasn't sure if that was the vibrations of a train or uh, Chelsea season ending just there, but uh, I, I think with, with, with the cost of situation, I think that the China, the China stuff that's come out of that, I think it's more of a byproduct from the fact that he's had this disagreement and falling out with Conte in January, and then everyone's jumped on it. The fact that George Mendes' agent was in China at the time, etc., etc. But um, so I'm not sure how concrete that is, but that's the point. It, it unsettles clubs, unsettles teams, and I think that. Regardless if you have it for a window in the summer or if you have a... So I think even then, if you have a window in the summer, it's, it's not fair to smaller clubs who might only be able to budget on a, a small a small squad and then they get two or three injuries and it you know it, it limits them bringing players in. Now we have emergency loan windows and all the rest of it. But I, I still think that it limits those clubs because I think you, know, you, you might get a player as well who has a good six months... And then suddenly the club can sell him and make good money because then by come the end of the summer, uh, sorry, the end of the season in the summer, he might not be playing as well and he goes for less money. I just think that you should have a, a, an open market all season and you, you shouldn't have transfer windows because it just it just makes everything turn into silly season and unsettles all, you know, all the football. I mean, it's interesting you say that. I mean, you know, the, 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 the all-year-round window, I mean, that's what it used to be like. I mean, back in the day, you could buy a player whenever you wanted to. So, you know, you wanted to buy a player in, in March or April, you know, you're going to go for a push you could do. Um, just coming back to the transfer window, though, the transfer window at the moment now is a month, and we look around, and, and the fact is that it's almost like you accept it. The football clubs, everyone voted, and they accepted the transfer window to be a month. But the reason why is that why is that a month? Because what's, if you notice, what we've had at the moment now, we've had a little bit of madness at the beginning. We had Lookman, who went from Charlton to Everton for eleven million pounds. You know, a good player, Lookman, but you know, not be funny. Charlton, you know, he's at Charlton. He's got in their side. He was like sort of kind of DJ Campbell. Come in a little bit, then oh, he's got in the Charlton team. That oh, he's got to Everton for eleven million. So we had a little bit of madness at the beginning. Then all of a sudden, it's like you know, I'm sure he'll pan out. I'm not having a go at him. You know, then you've had nothing. So all you've had is West Ham coming in and telling the whole world who they're going to be buying and everything like that. But there's no real action. A little bit here and there. But apparently it's like the chess game. is all, And then you're going to get nonsense happening for the last two days of the window. And all it's done is it's enabled agents to come in and spend their time flying left, right and centre, winding things up, winding clubs up, players going on strike, players not playing. You know, you've got your Piets and your you know, Hogan's and you've got your Contes and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just, you know, sort of saying... It's like, why is it a month? Why isn't it three days or five days? You go in there, you know what the window's like, you go and do your business, boom, 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 done. Clubs can get on with their business. And to me, that makes perfect sense. Probably doesn't make sense for Sky, because they can't pan it out. And it probably doesn't make sense for the agents, because they can't wind it up. But it makes sense for 
us as fans, football clubs, football players, everybody else, and the authorities. And I still don't understand why the authorities don't try and get hold of their game a little bit. Yeah, you spot on. Most of the action does happen at the at the at the, at the right the action end of it, right? The two or two or two or one day before the window slams shut, um, and that that's the way it seems to be going with Hogan. My problem with this is become it becomes a, 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 yeah you've got buying and selling clubs, but you've got proactive and reactive clubs. We have to we can only be reactive. We have to wait until we get a windfall before we can go into the market and buy the players that we want. If that only happens at the 12th hour or the 24th hour, um, we, it doesn't allow us to then go and buy the players we want until the next window opens, which is the end of the season. So it it pretty does write off. A, a good third of a season unless unless we get an early windfall there's, there's another aspect of it as well just to move away from you know clubs being unsettled and squads being unsettled is that if you notice the rise of the power of the agent it's all come about since transfer windows of obviously there's more money in football anyway so agents by default are going to be more powerful but they're able to hold clubs to ransom now you know, because they, they can they can really hike up the price lead especially in January you know when clubs are looking to get that special player that's going to get them through until the end of the season where it might mean the difference between European football and not. But then also in the summer where you know teams are, like Chelsea, having to wait until transfer deadline day to sign David Luiz and um, Marcus Alonso. You know, ideally, they'll be signing the player in September maybe you know, and, and dragging it out to get the price they want and make better business. And I just think that it's empowered agents because now they've got windows where they can work they can really drive up prices on players. They can hike up wages. They know that if one, that club isn't paying it, they're screwed for the next six months. Or another club can come along and they, they can play clubs off each other, which is always part of the game. But I think now by limiting it, it's giving them even more power. And then you're seeing players now you know, getting unsettled and, and moving around and a, a lot more when we're talking about a lack of loyalty in football. So, okay, so if we're going to sort of bring football, because the thing is that football, again, we talk about it, it moves a lot more to all these other people who you sort of say their interests aren't really the same. I mean, we're fans, we'll turn up in week in and week out. Obviously, the, fact, the, the football clubs have got an interest to a certain extent, but sometimes I think they're really stupid because they let things happen that shouldn't really happen. Then, you know, six months or a year or three or five years later, they go, oh, we shouldn't have really done that, should have. I'm just wondering, just going around the table here, what would you do or implement to make the transfer window or the transfer scenario better just very quickly it needs to be shortened it needs to be two two weeks I mean I, I, I hear the open window and it, it, I, I still think that's I, I don't think that happening I, I don't I don't think having it a year round 365 day I don't think that's a good idea then there needs to be pockets of opportunity um, pl- um, clubs need to stop wasting money they need to start buying players that they actually want and, and building, building their teams around there seems to be a lot of wasted money going on um, I, 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 I don't see I don't see it being resolved because Sky love it and Sky dictate everything Yeah as I said shorter I mean I agree with the short period like that I'd have it when the players aren't playing um, so that'd be the summer maybe if you had a winter break you could fit it in there um, but I would but conversely I would open up the loan system to the whole of the season because I think that's where clubs like ours the smaller clubs really get stitched up now with this loan thing also in the transfer window I think as well looking at the business perspective I think that uh, in our case UEFA and FIFA need to take more of a stance and I'd look at stuff like capping 
the uh, the percentage that agents can earn on, on on transfers because sometimes they get ten percent, sometimes they get five percent, and in in the um, in the case of Paul Pogba joining Manchester United, you know Mina Raiola made about twenty million pounds out of that one deal. So I think the way they should do is they should regulate it more and bring in a maximum fee that an agent can be paid for his business because. It didn't cost Mino Raiola to make twenty million pounds out of Paul Pogba, and you could say, you know, for instance, putting numbers out of the air that two hundred and fifty thousand pounds for an agent, because you know, on a maximum on a deal, because not only is he then stopping to ship players around for more money, but then you know they're going to look after their players more because they look at it sometimes that not all agents, but some agents they look at it where they're looking at their next payday, and you know, players like Pogba are a payday, and clubs in the football league especially they have to pay a premium for that and that, that can that can be damaging I mean, and for me I mean again I've always said what I say about the football you know the, the transfer window I'm not massively happy with it but for me it's got to happen and it's got to happen I think that would be really good if the transfer window came and it started on the Sunday after the game on the Saturday and then it finished the following Friday so basically in, be- in between two matches in January and wherever it may be, you've got two two matches. So the Sunday it starts and it finishes on the Friday. So you can actually finish with a player, and then the following Saturday could be playing for somebody else, and it's going to be done. End of story. And I think that the transfer window does not need to be any more than five or six days. Call it five days, and you're done. Everyone's got to be really focused and do their business, and then we can all move on. We all talk about the Scott Hogan scenario again. We, we obviously update you week in and week out, and you look on excited. Uh, normally we don't write anything unless something is going to be happening. Like I said to you, we obviously wrote about this Dutch striker, our winger today, because we knew it was happening, even though we knew about it two weeks ago. But we don't put uh, rumours. Players that are coming in, don't really want to talk about them because, you know, there's been rumours of Max Power, Matt Taylor, you know. Uh, Max Power, loads of money, you know. Uh, Matty Taylor, I'm not sure he's going to be right for us. Um, um, you know, so we don't really want to talk about these rumours of anybody else that's going to come in. I think the one that's probably the strongest rumour, obviously, and we all know about it, is, is Sergi Canos. And will Sergi Canos come in and will he know? Is he going to be dependent on Scott Hogan? He's a player that we really want, even though we've got Flory, um, Flory M. From PSV, is there any news? Any probably. News on the medical? Well, uh, there's no, there's no news. There's no news on the medical. Apparently, no. He's do, been doing push-ups. No. He's, he's been doing push-ups at the moment. Now, you know what I'm saying? He's doing a staring, like a staring competition. Oh. To, he's not man, He's not blinked for five minutes. I've heard. That's right. I so he's blowing up balloons. His chest is puff. That's right. So he's been doing that. But Sergi Canos is one who's, and obviously Sergi is a winger as well but I think that Brentford all would be going for Sergi as well as we, if we've written on beside because Sergi plays across the, the right he plays in the middle and he can play on the left as well so there's a lot of flexibility in, in Sergi who may actually kind of flip into a kind of a more attacking role but other than that like I said no other, other rumours I don't know if there's any Chelsea rumours going around at all Well there's talk that Asmir Begovic might leave to join Bournemouth they, they've tabled a, a £10 million bid apparently but Chelsea rejected it um, and obviously there was the, there was the cost of stuff, but I think at the moment Chelsea are fairly settled in terms of where they are, what what they've got coming in and out of the club. So um, I think it's going to be a fairly quiet January. I think you're going to see maybe one or two more younger players go out to join the the 36 who are already on loan. Uh, but apart from that, I think Conte's got a, a settled squad. He's brought Nathan Ake back, and um, and Chelsea looking strong between now and now and May. So, I mean, and, and talking about the players that are going to go out on loan, we're going to start. So we're going to talk about the academy, youth team players. Uh, we're going to be talking about bringing players through the ranks in a little bit on the Besotted podcast because that's very important and it's very important to you know how both our teams are going to progress. So let's talk about B team players, academy players, youth team players, and known players right now. So bring on the youth, the youth them. 
Brentford. The, the what? Oh, sorry, the youth. Oh, thank you. Yeah, the youth, sorry for, for you, just didn't understand. So listen, Brentford, um, we've got young players coming through. Chelsea have got young players coming through. We, they've got an academy. We had an academy, don't have an academy anymore. And it's interesting because recently, um, as you probably know, Besotted run the social. We had recently, we had the Besotted social at the Fuller's Brewery. Just before Christmas, which was an absolute laugh. Richard Cadet, Carl Hutchins and Paul Gibbs were there giving us all the tales from back in the day, everything that was going on. We had about 80 people in there. We had an open bar and it was a proper laugh. Like I said, if you go to besotted.co.uk, we've got the next social in April. We might have one in a few weeks' time, a little sort of secret squirrel one which you might have, but the one in April is going to be the next one. But it was a proper laugh in the brewery. Everyone really enjoyed themselves. Like I said, open bars, oh God, we had pots of brine, you know, frontier, wine, everything like that was going down. Um, that was brilliant. But then afterwards, somebody asked a very good question to these three Brentford legends. They said to them, if you had an 18-year-old kid, which team would you sign them to? You know, in an academy, which team would you sign them to? And those three Brentford players had to say exactly who they were signing their kids to. I don't know if you have got 18-year-old boys or, or, or if you've got boys coming up, but let's say you have, each of you has an 18-year-old son and they get an offer from Fulham Brentford and Chelsea, who would you advise them to join in this day and age? You know, I coached at Millwall and I was like, well, I would not, I want my son to play somewhere where he's going to be coached properly because coaching is a hard thing today because, you know, all the clubs want to like, oh, we want to win, 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 win. And no one actually coaches footballers anymore. They don't coach defenders how to be defenders. They don't coach midfielders how to be midfielders. Out to forwards how to score goals. Um, I'm here now, and I'm sitting here with, as you said, like two other Brentford legends, right? And at the end of the day, Carl, they were told, if you're a centre half, kick your centre forward. Yes? Kick your centre forward. Left back, kick your left back. Yes? We don't, we don't coach kids in the way they need to be coached today. You know, our, our left back is like, oh, good are you going forward? It's, which is rubbish. It's like, do the basic thing. Can you defend first? I would tell my son to go to a club. I would tell my son to go to a club that teaches you to do the right things. Which one out of them three? <laughs> I don't... Well... Fulham, Fulham, Brentford, Chelsea. Brentford, Fulham, Chelsea. No, not Chelsea. Yes. Without a doubt, not Chelsea. So I'd, I'd go, right, who's best? Who's you're the treading, best? You're treading on, on, on dodgy ground now. Just say the fucking Who? Who is? I would say to my son, who's the best that teaches you how to defend? Uh, who is? Who is? If it was Brentford. No, 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 who's it? If it was Brentford, I'd say, go to Brentford. But, 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 if it wasn't, I'd say, go to Fulham. Fact, it's I, my loyalties with Brentford. But I'd want my son to be taught the right way. I'm sorry. Good question. <laughs> Because I've got two sons who are just approaching that uh, age, and both of them play football. But unfortunately, they can't join Brentford now because 
because there's no academy anymore. What? So, in that case, we've only got Fulham or Chelsea to choose from. Don't go to Chelsea. Now, but what I will say, if Brentford did have an academy, I would definitely be sending them there, first and foremost. Um, what else? Chelsea, Fulham. No, 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 no. I won't make a choice from them two. You have to. Okay, if, if, actually, no, if I was going to make a choice from them two, then I'd probably say Chelsea. Because knowing um, the, one of the, one of the, the guy that runs Chelsea, Neil Bath, was my youth team, or one of the youth team coaches at Brentford, and he, for me, is probably one of the most forward-thinking uh, minds in the game in the whole of Europe. So I would say um, definitely Chelsea, most definitely, yeah. Neil Bath is amazing. I, I, let's be honest, you know, I, if my son play, I coach my, under, my son's under-14s team, um, and... I would want my son to play at the highest possible standard he possibly could at and train with the best possible players that he could. I, I think we're all we're, we're sitting here and, and, and we're delighted to be sat here. But would I be delighted to be sit, uh, sitting here saying that I was a Chelsea legend? Of course I would. You know, let's got to be honest. I would love my son to go and play for Chelsea or whatever, but then the day is where he's happy. And how much me as an agent obviously could get for him. <laughs> So Richard Cadet, he, he couldn't get the answer. He couldn't. He just couldn't get him to say. He just. It was all over the place. He just. He, he couldn't commit. It was Brentford. It was Fulham. It was Chelsea. It was all over the place. So I'm, I'm hoping that you're going to be a little bit more focused, guys. I mean, if you have a kid, 18 years old, who would you sign them to? Well, I've, I've got a bit of an insight into this because my son was signed to all three of those clubs. So, um, Seb, my, my boy, um, he signed for Chelsea when he was six um, and he was with Chelsea Academy at Cobham and Uxbridge for two years and then um, he was chucked out of the conveyor belt and went to QPR for a little bit. And then he was with QPR didn't count, but we could talk about QPR anyway. Yeah, I know, but you you know you, you you go through all these options, and then you you want your son always to have the best coaching, the best nurturing, the best environment to um to, to, to give him the best chance, you know. And then he was with the Brentford. Um, he wasn't with the he was with the the the, the community um, the community scheme, um, and he had brilliant coaching there for two and a half years, three years. So. He, up until from the age of six until the age of 14, Seb was with professional football club coaches, um, and you realise how much they learn and how they do develop um, as players under under professional coaching. But you also realise that none of them stand an earthly chance of becoming professional footballers, so it's all a complete waste of time. Who is it going to be? Chelsea, Brentford, or Fulham? There's no QPR involved. Um, I'd say, I'd, I'd, well, not Brentford anymore because there's no academy. So you, 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 you would, you would probably push them. You'd probably push them to QPR. Probably it's not QPR. QPR is not it. Chelsea, okay, Chelsea, well, Fulham, or Brentford. Well, probably Fulham in that case because Chelsea. Well, no, I, I, it pains me to say it. I don't know. It pains me to say it. Chelsea, what they do is they're a magnet and they're a vacuum to all local talent and everyone wants to go and play for Chelsea and every parent wants to tell their their their, their friends, oh, little Johnny's 
little Johnny's training at Cobham. I mean, you know, Seb was training with Didier Drogba's son, Gary Lineker's son, Dennis Wise's son. Great storytelling, but he's never going to be a pro. Yeah, Dave's spot on with that point. Um, I'm personally, you know, I, I, I said it before on air, and I, and I just think the whole system is kind of flawed. So I'll pick it up. I'm going to give you two points. My first point is um, that there seems to be a thing that we're looking for the, the, the players that are brilliant at 17 or 18 when actually what we should be trying to identify are the players that are 17 or 18 but are going to be brilliant in their 20s. That's not the same thing. And that's the real key to this. And that's why I think the new Brentford system is quite intriguing. Um, you know, to, 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 to maybe not to maybe pick the players that are being elbowed out because they're not the best at 17, 18. Doesn't mean they're not going to be the best when they're in their 20s. So that's the first point. The other point is, to be honest, if I had a kid that was any good at football, I'd have moved to Spain with them or somewhere like that where I would trust the system a lot more than I do in this country. And that's why. And, and so actually, you, you sort of joke about what Richard Cadet was saying, but I totally get what Richard Cadet was saying. I mean, I mean, I'm not joking about Richie, I just thought that he just took a long time to, to get to where he was saying. But um, I mean, I'm going to come to Gary in a minute, but we, I mean, obviously we need to explain. A lot of people will say there's, a, there's an article on the Besotted website at the moment, besotted.co.uk, and it was written by the Massey, the Massey man, you know, and the Besotted crew together. We clubbed together and we talked about the B team because we thought that um, at the moment now, Brentford's B team isn't probably getting as much props as it should do. The reason why is that obviously, you know, the Scott Hogan scenario is happening. We've got an FA Cup thing. There's all sorts of stuff going on. And, you know, B team went over and played Bayern Munich the other day and they drew one all. Um, you know, we played Liverpool. You know, we played Man United. We beat them 3-2, all this kind of stuff. And they maybe need to get a, a few more props. So, you know, the Massey man, to be fair to him, he wrote a little article there. The boys clubbed in there. We threw into this article. Really good article. Yeah, really good. Really told the story. And basically... If you haven't seen it, just, just, just read it. we put a link to this on this podcast. It explained the reasons why Brentford decided to close their academy down, which was going on, which is, you know, the heart of Benham. Benham loved the academy, and he really wanted it, but he closed it down. Everyone slated him, saying, ah, Brentford, you're out of order, you close the academy down. But the reason why is that they wanted more focus. So they focused, and they got a B team, which is kind of almost like a little bit of a reserve team, elite players who come in. But we've, it's almost like we've, we've, we've signed the cast-offs for players who haven't quite made these some of them quite decent teams and we've signed them to decent contracts and the reason why is because in the, in the, in the academy we'd have a player who we might have signed at the age of 12 or 14 he'd go all the way through the system and then all of a sudden he'd get to 15, 16 and if he was really good Man United or Man City they'd come and, po- they'd come and poach them for us that's no good for us all of a sudden is that we've changed our style so read this article it's very very interesting now we talked about this because the B team the Air Academy was doing all right, but when we looked at it, I remember I used to speak to Matt. Matt would go, mm, I'm looking at the B team results. You know, it's all right, but it hasn't really done anything for me. I've seen them play a few times. doesn't really do anything for me. Sorry, the Academy hasn't done really anything for me. But now, the B team, which was, was started in, what, September? Um, Rob Rowan's gone out there, picked a load of players. They brought them in. We've got players in from Sweden and Denmark and from England and stuff. And I'm not being funny, I'm just going to go through some of the results. Bayern Munich, we drew one, one all. Liverpool, we drew two all. We beat them on penalties. And they've got players playing for them who are proper top dogs as well. Man United, we beat them 3-2 straight up. We actually hammered them, apparently. Reading, 4-1, we beat them um, at home. Chelsea, we lost one, uh, 2-1 and we drew uh, nil all. Both at Cobham, though. West Brom, we beat them 3-1 away. Valencia, we played them one all. We drew one all with them away. Southampton, everyone talks about Southampton's academy. 5-2, we smashed them away from home. 
So all of a sudden, something's happened there where these players, apparently they're playing some wicked football and there's something in there and all of a sudden, there's a path through to the A-team. Now, it's interesting because this it seems to be working for us now. All of a sudden, we can sit down and we can say, oh, Oh, these players that look like they might be coming through. We've got Chris Meppham. Oh, he might be coming through. Oh, Reese Cole, he might be coming through. Like, you know, we've got these players. We've, got, we've even got the um, Johansson, who, uh, who, who, whose grand, granddad was a twice Brazilian uh, World Cup winner. You know what I'm saying? His granddad was, you know what I'm saying? Um, Garincha. You know, so we've got all these players in our side and we've got a little bit of a buzz about the B team. It's interesting because we've got, it's got Chelsea here and Chelsea have got traditional academy where they've got their system locked down, but they've got about sort of 145 players in the academy and 143 of them are loaned out to clubs around the country. Now, there is a bit of a difference between our two, isn't there, there's Gary? Yeah, there is. Uh, you know, Chelsea have won five FA Youth Cups out of the last seven. They're constantly getting England teams filled with young players, but the problem they've got is bridging that gap between youth team success into the first team because they're, they're, there's... Obviously, FA Youth Cup, they can only play up until they're 18. And then when they're 18, you know, there's a young player at the moment called Mason Mount, who's playing for the uh, the under-18s, he's the captain, scoring goals for fun from midfield, absolutely brilliant player. But you look at him and you think, where where are you going to go into the Chelsea first team? Because you're too small, you're too lightweight, and the way Chelsea play football, they're, they're so physical, and you, know, you can't see Mason Mount, as good as he is, next season when Chelsea are back in the Champions League, getting a place in that side so then what's he going to do he's going to go and play on loan or he's going to play under 23s football so Chelsea produce these players that are that good it's almost like they're too good for the youth team level but they've got nowhere else to play so it, it, it's, it's restricting the players so as good as it is for the club to be winning five out of seven FA Youth Cups you know they're breaking records that we haven't seen done since the Busby Babes but there's nowhere for them to go and which kind of shows how our system might work because what we what we try and do is we try and pull off these players who are not good enough for you but maybe maybe good enough for, 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 for Brentford unfortunately everyone else is on that I mean it worked for us three or four years ago when we got players like you know your Bidburn and your Foreshaws and it's great we brought them in but everyone's wised up to that a little bit now yeah the thing is with some of these players that they are good enough for Chelsea sometimes but there's there's not enough confidence from the club in those players as well you know you've got um Lewis Baker, who's on loan at Vitesse Arnhem, has been on loan there for two years now. And I know it's only YouTube highlights and you can make, you can make me look good on YouTube highlights, but you look at his, what he's doing in, in Holland and the goals that he's scoring and the influence he's having in Vitesse. You know, he, he, when he went to the Toulon tournament with England in the, uh, in the summer, he got player of the tournament. I think he got a golden boot as well. And he's an exceptional player, but Chelsea was sending him back out on loan even before they gave him a chance. You know, Andreas Christensen, an- another player who... Was on a two-year loan at uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. You know, these players, some of these players are good enough, but because Chelsea want to spend on players as well, and they feel this pressure that they've got to compete with the elite by spending, they almost, you know, they don't look at what they got, and that, that's that's a big problem as well. It's a, it's a, that is a really common theme. You picked up exactly what we were saying last year on the podcast, and for me, it seems that as as you move up the leagues, the gap between your academy and your first team gets bigger. And it becomes almost unbridgeable by the time you get to the championship and by the Premier League, who knows where you go. Yeah, Absolutely spot on. So in League One, you've got youth team players who are expected to be League One players, realistic. Then in Championship, you're expecting youth team players to be Championship. Well, not many, but in your position, you're expecting youth team players to be world class. Yeah. 
that's, that's unrealistic. Yeah, and, and the, the problem they got is that I think they, they they've got the potential to be world class, but they don't get exposed to that football to make them world class. And if you if you look at some of the players that Chelsea got on loan this year in the Championship, you got Izzy Brown who was at Rotherham and now is at Huddersfield, and you've got Casey Palmer there as well, and you've got. Um, Striker, I've had too many deciders. Yeah, I mean, I mean Pat, Patrick Patrick Bamford is the is the one that you know. I know he's got his detractors because he can be. He looks like you know he's like he walks through games rather than runs through games. But he's a talented player, um, and I don't think he ever played for your first team. No, he never made never made an appearance. Chelsea signed him for two million and sold him for ten. Yeah, and he's and you know he's been like a, you know he's been a. a a decent player in the championship. I know he's had a little, a couple of down moves recently, but when he was at Middlesbrough, class player. I have to say that Spain don't seem to have this problem. They seem to be, they seem to have found a mechanism of introducing homegrown young talent and become first team world class talent without this massive amount of imports. And we need to monitor that. Yeah, well, this is where it becomes unpalatable. The B team. It's the B team argument, yeah. and and that's not what we want either, and that's why we're scrambling. I get, I'm sorry, the, the player that I forgot because I've had too many ciders was Tammy Abraham of Bristol City. You know what what he's doing this year is showing that he's a player that can step out of the the youth team, you know, shadow and and go and play first team football. And, you know, scored 18 goals this season for a guy who only celebrated his 19th birthday in October. That's incredible. But the problem is, is that he'll come back to Chelsea in the summer. And regardless of whether Diego Costa's there, you know Ch- Chelsea last summer spent 32 million on uh, Batshuayi, who you're probably going to see on Saturday coming up against Brentford. But he-, he blocks the path. He blocks the path, and they-, they go out and they buy more players. And because of the money they're spending on them, by default, those players get on the bench, and it blocks the path to these players to being exposed to world-class football again and this is the whole thing that we're saying is it was almost like it's a patience thing like so we've done with Brentford you know we buy these players in or we got these players in on loan we got the players in on loan when in the first division uh, but in the Premier League and sorry in the championship we can't get these players in because you know it's a patience thing because we won't take the risk on the players and the same thing with you we won't take the risk on the players but ironically what we would do is that we would take a risk on Tammy Abram all day long we saw him we were desperate to get him we figured can we get him the reason one of the reasons why we didn't get him we were in for him is that the loan fee and all that kind of stuff the money is like it's got ridiculous like you know what I'm saying and it was out of our kind of out of our zone but the fact is that you know a player like him and also we've also got to argue about the fact is that you know if we get these players you know, we've had quite a few players on loan it worked for us back in the day we got them on loan they brought them in and then afterwards we got them. But now what we do is, at the end of the day, what we do is we're just doing your work for you. Chelsea get these players in. They can't, don't know what to do with them. They loan them out to teams like us. We do the hard work. We actually kind of make them good. We train them up. We do all the business. They do the, they're brilliant. And then all of a sudden we go, can we sign them now? And they go, oh, no, you can't sign them. We're going to sell them on for like 30, 30 million pounds. Uh, uh, one, one problem as well, which is frustrating about Chelsea, is that go back to Patrick Bamford at the back end of 2014-15 um, when Chelsea won the title. He... he almost single-handedly got Middlesbrough promoted with the, with the goal I think he scored 21 goals that season and then their dip in form coincided with him getting injured and then they got into the playoff final against Norwich and he wasn't he wasn't fit and had a bad game and lost but then he came back to Chelsea that summer after this amazing season did everything you'd want of a lone player yeah, everything you ask him go out there prove yourself which is what he did and he did it MK Dons in seasons previous as well but then Chelsea signed Falcao and Falcao scored one goal for Chelsea that season I'm pretty sure that being exposed to first team football at Chelsea Patrick Bamford would have scored more than those one goals 
But also, Chelsea would have got their answer either way that yes, Bamford is Chelsea quality or no, he isn't. They would have sold him on. I think Chelsea can be rich pickings for clubs like Brentford in, in terms of like getting players that have been you know, chucked off their conveyor belt. I would, I would question whether we've possibly had the best out of that system. You know, the last three players that I think we've had in from them are Josh McEachran, Swift and, and, and Saville. And um, are, would, you know, are there, would there have been three better players for us to have had? I think, I think George Saville was a good player. I, think, I don't think he had the right attitude. He should have stayed with Brentford. Um, um, Swift... Um, the jury's still out on we know I think we thought he was a really good player and we saw some good signs out of him I know the club wanted to sign him um, he had his real knockers in, on, you know, with the away fans with the, with the away travelling his team's third at the moment in the, in yeah. the championship and then um, Josh McEachran who's been plagued with injury and you know he's, he's got his detractors you know, um, who question his work ethic and no, but no one, can, no one can question his quality when he's on his A game so, so there's there's definite there's definitely championship quality players coming out of the system. Just on McEachran, is it too early for me to go on? Talk? Yeah, okay. Because the thing with McEachran is that he was another one of those players who Chelsea seemed to they seemed to lose a bit of confidence in him. You know, and 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 what he was a victim of as well was the, the managerial merry-go-round, which is another problem for Chelsea is that you get managers who get used to these youth team players. They start putting a bit of faith in them, and then and then they get sacked. You know, which, which is what happened with Ancelotti. That he he, he was the guy who brought McKechnie through, made him Chelsea's youngest ever debutant when he was like 17 years and 100 days old, or something silly like that. And there, there was this big, you know, hype around him. And then Ancelotti got the sack, and Villas Boas came in, and suddenly McKechnie just got forgotten about. You know, and he, he started getting sent out on loan. We signed um, Oriol Romeu in, in his place. You know, from Barcelona. And now he's at Southampton. Yeah, he didn't get many games, but then he was in ahead of McEachern in the squad. McEachern got a few bad loans where he went out to Middlesbrough, didn't really settle, went to Swansea, didn't really get the chances that we thought he was going to get because Brendan Rodgers was manager at the time and he had been ahead of the Chelsea Academy helping bring McEachern through. And it seemed to knock his confidence. You could just see that with each loan move, he became less and less of the McEachern that we thought he was going to be in. It's a good thing. You know, Going back to that question you are asking those Fulham... Uh, sorry, the... Fulham, the, the Brentford, you know, legends. That if I if I was a you know if I had a, a kid who was 18 years old, I'd be keeping him as far away from Chelsea as I could. Not because I think the club's bad, but I, I, I just think that you know the, the club's too successful to bring young players through. They need the finished article. And when you're 18 years old, you're not. And you know, as as much as I applaud Chelsea for what they're doing, the youth team players that you know they've got an emphasis on bringing young English players through as well. You know. The players you're listing there, are, you know, are English players. John Swift, you know, good, good writer from back in the day, good player now. Um, but yeah, I, I just think that they've got the right, they've got the right intentions, but they don't really follow it through. And if I was an 18-year-old now, I wouldn't want to be at Chelsea unless I was getting the money for it. Uh, so interestingly, I mean, okay, I mean, I think a couple of days ago, uh, the very last team. Our very last Premier League team was ejected from the Checker Trade Trophy. So uh, that experiment didn't really work very well at all. But I'm going to ask you, I mean, just let's be realistic, because obviously we've got a feeling about it. Um, for Chelsea, do you, do, or for a Premier League team, do you think this whole idea of B teams actually works for you? Or how else? What other option is there? I think the B T option is, is a, a good option. But at the same time, see, this is where... English football eats itself because 
we've got this amazing tradition here that you don't have anywhere else and it's a case of how do you balance that how do you look at progress and the, the, the problem is is that the Premier League's that big that they're looking at the football league or sorry the English football league now and, and they're saying you need to do us a favour and it shouldn't be about that it should be a collaboration across 92 clubs and everyone you know in for the greater good I know that there's a competition that you need to you know to work with as well but I think B teams can work and you know I, I applaud the, the football league for the way that they've gone about it because okay they, they may have devalued the checker trade trophy in terms of you look at the attendances and the, you know the gags that have been made against it this season and you know some of the failed experiments but they're trying to actively make a difference and the Premier League's not trying hard enough because they're too you know they're, they're too worried about their own brand and you know what the Premier League represents globally but so, so what, what, what I was going to say though is that I've seen all, all three Chelsea games this season and what you saw in those games is Chelsea got better with each game but then what you had is that it was 18 year olds playing against men you know, and, and when, when Chelsea played against Oxford, when um, it went to like, the record number of penalties, it was like 45 penalties in that shootout. You know, Chelsea completely outplayed Oxford that night. Those Oxford players should be embarrassed that they, you know, these 18-year-olds were completely outplaying them. But then all that happened is you had 18-year-olds who couldn't last 90 minutes, and Oxford just got themselves back in and equalised in the last minute. You know, but te- technique-wise and as players, if they weren't kids, they would have just destroyed that Oxford side. And so. You, know, you look and you think it's a good experiment, but at the same time, those guys, these kids need to be exposed to it. And that's what it's shown this season, that it's maybe been a failed experiment, but at the same time, you've got answers. And what it's shown is that these kids are good enough that they need to be playing that football regularly. You know, and to, to go back to more, so I know I'm going off on one here, but to go back to more Chelsea loan players, there's, there's this young kid who I'm absolutely in love with, Charlie Colkett. I, I adore him as a player. And... I wrote a piece about him, whether he was Chelsea's um, biggest, you know, the, the best kept secret at Chelsea because you watch him play and he's like a younger version of Cesc Fabregas and that's not me trying to put pressure on him or trying to big him up too much because the way he plays football is incredible and it's basically like a young Josh McEachern. When McEachern came on, you know, when, when he first came in at Chelsea, he was an excellent player. He made his debut um, in the Champions League and he looked a player that wasn't out of place, you know. And you see Colkett, the way he plays, he's an exceptional player. And he was on loan at Bristol Rovers this season. And he, you know, he had some amazing performances. But then when they started struggling, he got dropped, all because he was a young player. And then Chelsea called him back from that because they wanted him to play. And they sent him to Swindon. And within two games, he's been making an impact there. But you look and you think players like that being exposed to first-team football, they're showing that they're good enough. They just need it consistently. And sometimes the faith isn't there in them. But again, and I know Laney wants to chat, but I'm just going to say it's interesting because... To us, there's a big difference between a B team and, and, and playing sort of kind of first team football. And so what happened at the B team, you've got 11 Chelsea young players playing against league teams, whether or not that works or not, you know, and it's all a bit, you know, as opposed to integrating them properly into a, a league side and, and forming a relationship with the league side. And the way it goes at the moment now is that you've got loads of money and you can bring all these players in and you hoard all these players that we can't have. So kind of our argument is we're sort of thinking, well, if you're hoarding all these players, maybe you should actually, you can't actually use them. You're not doing anything with them. Send them out to us. But at the same time, we're also thinking, send them out to us. But also, if we're developing them, then we should actually have an advantage for them for more than the six months of the year that you're giving it to us. So whether or not we have it for a number of years, then you get a buyback clause or whatever it may be. I don't know what it may be. But what I'm trying to say to you is that there needs to be a different system to what there is at the moment now. Sorry, I know, I know I'm hogging the microphone. Just, just, just one quick point is that when you talk about the, the you know, the, the smaller clubs, I say that in the loosest sense of the term. I don't mean it that Chelsea are, are bigger and better, but 
I think what should happen is it should be reversed. Because you talk about Tammy Abraham and the loan fees that Brentford would be having to pay Chelsea. I think it should be the other way around. I think these players should go to clubs like Brentford, Coventry, you know, even Bristol Rovers and you know Dagenham and Redbridge, other clubs that are lower down the pyramid. And these bigger clubs like United, Chelsea, Arsenal, who can afford it, should be playing those clubs a development fee for taking these players. Because not only then does that mean these clubs are going to want to do it, it means that they've got an investment in these players. And if they can pay that development fee and they're making money out of it, it allows that money from the top to trickle down. Because at the moment, you've got Premier League teams, that there's a massive divide now between the Premier League and the Championship and the Championship and League One, where these sides can't compete. And, and football gradually is going to die out. Yeah, I think I think you can make that. I think that's an arg- a reasonable argument to make when you talk about Bamford, for example. So you bought him for two million, he went for ten million. Yeah. So you made you made a profit of eight million, and he didn't spend many of those years playing at Chelsea. Yeah. So no, he, so he ultimately, yeah, and, or be, even being at Chelsea. Yeah. So ultimately, is that where the answer is? Should that element of the transfer fee be shared out? amongst the clubs that you know had him during that period or something like that see, see I, I, would, I would go as far as to argue that Chelsea is screwing with all these players careers I say I, I would I was go as far as to say that these players if they just would just leave Chelsea they would stand a better chance of becoming better pros they need to be forget the badge forget forget playing for Chelsea you ain't, you ain't never going to play for Chelsea because Chelsea will always go and buy a Barcelona player or a Real Madrid player or they'll go and buy a Juventus player they'll, they'll buy a player that's got world class quality already or buy a Munich player they, they don't they, you, John Terry is the last youth team player that will, will go through the ranks of Chelsea so forget wasting your time earn your, you know, it's all about earning your money I, I would never ever advocate B teams B leagues perhaps where, where all these clubs have got, you know, these hoarding all these stars can play each other on a level playing field. Perhaps do that, but I would never, I never advocate. A, you, you wouldn't want to deprive a, a Shrewsbury Town of their football club or um, a Carlisle United of their football club. These, these teams or these clubs have the identity for that for that town. That their club is the be all and end all for them. They don't care. They don't really care about success, most of them. I mean, and it's interesting because we, you know, the football league and sorry, the FA, they go out there and they do all these things. I mean, like I said to you, I'm very, very, very in tune with what you know. A lot of stuff happens in the FA. I'm on the board of the FSF, so a lot of this information comes back to us. And uh, the FA, they're sitting down, they're thinking, oh, we need to do this. We need to do this because we want England to be better and their players to be better. But the fact is that it's interesting because you sit around with a bunch of fans. It's like we watch football week in and week out, and we know it's almost like we know what works and we don't. Know what what doesn't work and the fact is that it's almost like the moves that they're trying to put out there and trying to make and force to make it's, it's almost like it's, it's the hands are being turned by the Premier League which doesn't necessarily mean it's the right thing to do we know that the fact is that there are not enough players going out there and playing you go down there and you say to me Tammy Abraham play him in the first division play him in, uh, in, the, champion, uh, in, in the championship we get excited about that, you know. We know that the fact is that a lot of players, a lot of Premier League teams won't play um, the players because the, the TV money is so expensive, you know, it's, it's so important to them that the risk is too high that they won't go out and do that, so they won't take the risk. So what's happened is that the risk for these players is further down the league. So instead of somebody trying to work out a really proper alternative as to how all these teams can work together to better themselves, there's a little bit of a Wild West going on, so they're, they're just going, so at the moment now, all these loan players, you have to pay loads of money to loan them and loads of money for this and loads of money for that, and it's not quite working out. And for me, 
if the FA was really, really, really serious about improving the game, they would look at this and say, tell you something, Guy, we're going to regulate this and this is how it's going to happen. Yeah, the one thing I just make is that, like I said, I'm not putting the boot on Chelsea here because I think what they do in the academy, uh, academy level is incredible. You know, they've got so many talented coaches that are producing very good players. But the one thing I was going to say is that it's because the first team is so successful where, where that struggle is. And just to make the point of that, I wouldn't go so far as to say that a young player joins Chelsea and it kills their career. Because at the moment, you've got players that are perhaps bucking the trend where you look at Loftus-Cheek and Nathaniel Chaloba and Nathan Ake coming through now under Conte. But um, just to the point is that about 10 years ago, Chelsea got sanctions from the FA because they signed two young players from Leeds. Uh, Tom Tywo and Michael Woods and they tried to sign a third and that third player was Danny Rose and you see, and anyone listening to this now will say who's Michael Woods who's Tom Tywo I, I know who they are because I write about Chelsea I cover them for a living and I'm a Chelsea fan and I used to work at the club and you know, I, I used to speak to those players but ask anyone fair weather fan who's Danny Rose everyone knows who he is and that's the difference. Danny Rose went to Spurs instead and look where his career went, look where Michael Woods and Tom Tyro went. They were the two big hosts from the Leeds Academy. Danny Rose wasn't, and now look. And I think that's the proof in the pudding. Proof in the pudding. So listen, Saturday, we've got a big match coming on. Hopefully, hopefully, a lot of the, Brent, uh, the Chelsea youth will be playing and we'll see how that's going to pan out. But look, we're going to talk about the Chelsea match in just a little while. So Saturday, FA Cup Day. Brentford, Chelsea, we're off to Stamford Bridge, we're going by boat, we're going by car, we're going by plane, we're going by helicopter, we're going by, we're going by tunnel, we, you know, we, we, we're going, oh, we're going all sorts now, Chelsea have got no idea what's going to be turning up, Brentford fans are going to be in the Brentford end, they're going to be in the Chelsea end, they're going to be in the Fulham end, they're going to be in the West Ham end, they're going to be all over the place, Brentford, because they're absolutely potty for this one, even though our form hasn't been magnanimous going into this game, but we don't care because we're there for a laugh. Uh, the Besotted crew, we're going to be, well, we're going to be um, we're going down the river, actually. So we've got a little bit of a breakfast beforehand as well um, down the west side. So if you want to know where it is, just message us or email us or do whatever you have to do. We let you know what's going on. That's about nine o'clock start. It's going to be a bit of a laugh, that one. But we're going down the river to Chelsea. But it's one of our crew, as you know, the Liberal Nick. He's gone West Country. He's just left us alone. And, but he can't help himself. Every week he has a bit of a rant. And this week he's ranting because he's not happy about the scar faction, the half and half scar faction, and also people moaning about people standing. The Liberal Nick, let us know your views, mate. You all know me, I'm a good Liberal. But sometimes even good Liberals need to lay down a few rules. And there are two rules, particularly for Saturday's game, that need to be reiterated. If you're one of the lucky 6,000 going to the game, you must not come along with your half-and-half half scarves. Half-and-half half scarves are an abomination, should be abolished from the face of this earth. And I'd hope every Brentford fan going to the game on Saturday wears their own bee scarf, bee's top, bee's item of clothing. But what you don't do is show any allegiance to Chelsea. It's a Brentford team you're going to support. And that brings me on to my second point. If you can't stand, please find your way to the front of the stadium because at the back there will be loads and loads of Brentford fans wanting to stand throughout the entire 90 minutes to sing the team on to roar them to what could be a really great victory at the bridge on Saturday I'm predicting a 2-1 victory for Brentford but we can only do that if all the 6,000 Brentford fans get up and support their team so no arguing with B's fans no saying 
please sit down. None of that rubbish. Up on your feet, sing, get behind your team. And whatever you do, don't wear your half and half scarf. See you on Saturday. Come on, you bees. The Liberal not happy with the half and half scarf. To be fair, you know, we had a photograph from a couple of years ago where we... There's a half and half calf seller selling in the pub that we found in Putney, I think. The only pub that we could find was, remember, it's a Sunday kickoff against Chelsea a few seasons ago. And so we, the only pub that we could find to open early was the, the Witherspoons opposite Putney Station. They opened about seven in the morning, something ridiculous. So we all piled down there and there's loads of bees inside there. And of course, the half and half scarf seller also found his wealth down there. We took a photograph of him and we keep tweeting it out every now and again. And the reaction we get to that is brilliant. So, we, you know, we probably tweet it again again the next couple of days because people are not happy about the half and half scars however I have a Chelsea fan in the house and he seems to be quite happy with the half and half scars Gary yeah the, the, the reason being is because um, I was always a sceptic but then I, I was working in Austria this summer covering Chelsea's mini tour there and um, Chelsea played Rapid Vienna for their opening um, their opening game under Conte's reign they lost 2-0 but I was in the airport on the way back and uh, they'd been giving out these scarves for free. So I picked one up, I was a souvenir, you know, Conte's first game, and, and it was the opening of their official, you know, their new stadium as well. And I had it tied to my bag, and I was in the airport, and there was a, there was a big long delay of about six hours. And then there was this, this Austrian, I forget his name now, cause I got, but it, it was Austrian. Churchbaumer. Yeah, and he just sat next to me, and he was like, oh, yeah, you went to the game, yeah? And I was like, what do you mean? He went, oh, the game. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were just chatting, and then... Um, I just had this really pleasant conversation with this guy that passed by this, um, this you know, massive uh, you know, delay in the airport, and it was just like this nice bond that we had, you know, momentarily, just like well, being well, because the of the half and half scarf. Because of the half and half scarf, because he saw it, he re- realised I'd gone to the game, and it was uh, an Austrian that was living in London, but lived in London for a while, and had been going to watch Chelsea, and his team was Rapid Vienna. Um, so obviously Chelsea playing Rapid Vienna the opening of their new stadium he wanted to go to the game so he'd been to the game and then we had a chat about all that and it was just this nice like, like this nice moment in an airport whereas I'd have been sat there bored for six hours waiting to get my flight and it was just this nice little you know bit of fan culture that came on the back of this thing that is just um, I guess anti-football in a sense in the half and half scarf but at the same time it, it brought two people together but I have to ask the question would he have spoken to you if you just had a Chelsea scarf. That, that's the point. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have had a scarf because I don't buy them, and I wouldn't have had a Chelsea shirt on. So he, he just struck up the conversation just because he saw it. And he was like, "Oh yeah, that is good, yeah." So, so, so hold a second. So you're saying that you would rather wear a half an hour scarf than just buy a, a Chelsea scarf? No, no. What, what I mean, I don't buy it. I've got given it. What I mean. No, 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 What I mean is that you know that they have that they have some value that I can imagine, you know. <laughs> You're digging yourself in a hole here. What, 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 I, no, what I can imagine, though, is that there's in, in, Heath, in Heath Road this weekend, there could be a Chelsea fan from New York flying back, and there's a Brentford fan who came over just for this game because it is his cup final, and he sees a, he sees a Chelsea fan. He's like, oh, do you go to the game? He's like, hey, man, yeah, yeah, Chelsea. And they, they chat and they get a bond. What I mean is that it, it was a way of starting a conversation. It was an icebreaker that maybe wouldn't have been there. I'd have been sat there listening to music, bored, waiting to get on my flight but then it, it passed six hours so when Brentford played Chelsea what four years ago it was massive for us we were in the first division no one really rated us as such we played Chelsea they were a half decent side 
weren't doing particularly well, but they were Chelsea. We were little old Brentford, but boy, did we give them a game. And uh, it was a brilliant build-up to the game. It was a brilliant atmosphere. Um, the vibe, I think, when the Chelsea players walked out onto the pitch, they must have gone, oh, my God, this is just, like, unbelievable. There's, like, 12,000 people absolutely rabid, just, like, shouting at us, like, the paddock and the Ealing Road. And it was a great day out. But, I mean, we could talk about that till the cows come home. But we just thought, instead of us talking, let's get a Brentford player in and let him tell us what his day was like when Chelsea came to Griffin Park and we went to Stamford Bridge. So Brentford take on Chelsea in the FA Cup fourth round at Stamford Bridge. A game that will see 6,000 bees travel the short distance by car and coach and train and boat and probably helicopter and anything else upstream to watch the bees do battle against the Blues. But what's it like for Brentford players preparing for that match? And what would it be like when they step out on the pitch and prepare to go toe-to-toe with the Premier League leaders? We thought it would be a great idea to find out by speaking to a Brentford player who played in our previous encounter with our West London rivals. So we got hold of ex-Brentford player Scott Barron, who played in a two-all draw at Griffin Park, a game that nearly saw us get the upset of the round. Scott, mate, how are you? Yes, fine, Billy. How are you, mate? I'm not bad, not bad, not bad, mate. Looking forward to Saturday now. It's like, it's like, it's like the road, you know. We can see the road there to Stamford Bridge. We can see it in front of us. So we're starting to get a little bit excited. And I'm, I'm just asking you as well. I mean, like, can you believe that game? Four years ago since we played Chelsea last time. It just seems like yesterday almost, doesn't it? Yeah, it doesn't seem long ago at all. I mean, it's quite a lot happened with Brentford since then as well. So still to live in the memory shows what a good occasion it was. I mean, from my point of view, it was probably one of the last games I actually played, you know, for Brentford. Um, so, yeah, it's obviously quite distinct in my memory. Indeed, indeed. And so it's distinct in your memory because obviously, like, you know, it comes to the FA Cup third round. And, you know, we had a match against Southend, uh, which we drew. So we were still in the hat, as we say. And we celebrate the fact that we're in the hat because we don't often get into the hat. What was the feeling in the camp when Chelsea came out of the hat for the fourth round? Yeah, I mean, at the time, you're looking for one of the big four and... Um, you know, like really looking to, to go away, you know, at a big occasion because you're not really expected to get anything of it. Um, but we had them at home, and it's obviously worked out fantastic getting the draw because you played them twice. But when it first came out, it was, you know, you can could argue for Man United or Liverpool or, you know, one of them clubs, but it was definitely up there with one of the best ones you could get. And, I mean, you still had to beat South End, um, and they, you know, put on a good show. They came down to Griffin Park, but, I mean, obviously, did Chelsea give you extra incentive? Yeah, but, you know, the people will come out and say, oh, you take game game at a time and you only treat the game that's in front of you or it's important, but we'd be lying if we say we weren't thinking about Chelsea. We fully expected to beat Southend that night. Um, I don't think there's any shame in saying that. Um, and we did. It was quite comfortable. I think it was 2-1, but I remember the game being quite comfortable. I mean, I came off the bench for Harry Forrester, I think, was really, really good that night. And um, I think it was quite a comfortable win in the end, although the scoreline was only 2-1. Yeah, I mean, Dean, I mean, not Dean, Dean Smith. Um, Smith, goalkeeper, XB's Brentford goalkeeper, who played in goal for South End, and he had an absolutely blinding game, if I remember. He must have, uh, he must have kept the score down to two, because he, he could have been about six or seven, if I remember rightly. 
Yeah, I mean, I was watching it last night from the bench, and it was just a bit of a peppering, really. It was chance after chance. But then again, when you get to the, the, that far into a game and it's still only 2-1, then, then the nerves become a little bit more you know, on top of you in the last 10 minutes of the game. So we managed to see it off, and obviously Chelsea. I think when you're playing, you're not actually thinking of the next game. You know, When you're actually playing for that 90 minutes, your you're, you're focus and concentration, not, not a cliche, is actually on the game. Um, it's just before and then immediately afterwards you start concentrating on, on what's, what's about to happen. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, after that game, we won it. I mean, what was the vibe going into the Chelsea match? In the camp, because obviously the week before, and just like it is now, you know, that you're going into training, you're sort of talking with your mates about it, family, everyone's talking about it, it's on the news. I mean, what was the vibe like? Well, it's more around the people around you. I mean, Uwe was very professional, was very much concentrated on the league, as you can imagine, very disciplined in that factor. And we were really, I mean, we were still going for promotion in that season and we're, you know, very much in the thick of it. So there were still games in between that we were concentrating on, but you can't, you know, your friends are asking you if you can be able to get tickets and your family want to come down and stuff like that. And, you know, it's not often you play in games against such big clubs so you can't help but think about it every now and again but I think the fact that we did still have something to play for in the league well quite a lot to play for in the league I mean it wasn't right at the forefront of our mind I mean it's interesting you say that I mean if you look at that from when the ball was plucked out of the hat to when the final Chelsea game was played when, when they beat us 4-0 we played um, five league matches okay we played uh, we lost two of them we drew two of them and we actually won one of them. So there's an argument to say that our eye was slightly off the ball on the league. I mean, I know you sort of trade with Trump, try and keep it professional, but, you know, if we had just got one win maybe out of those matches, you know, we would have actually got automatic promotion instead of, uh, not automatic, you know, instead of going to the, to the playoffs. So do you think maybe it might have had an effect? Well, maybe subconsciously. I didn't know since them results, and at the time I don't think we... We noticed them. I can't remember exactly what our, our thought process was. And, and to be honest, I don't know what everyone else thinks, um, what's going through their heads. But in mine, it was, um, you know, I was very aware of it and we were all excited about it. And I think I was, I think I was actually injured for them games uh, before myself personally, surprise, surprise. Um, so I didn't really, wasn't involved too much in them games. Um, so, yeah, you might say that the, the eye was slightly off a little bit. Um, I don't know, it's hard to say. Sometimes it just happens, you go through them spells in the season. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I give you know all about that. But look, let's go to the match day. So, on the match day, you know, you get out of bed, you're going down there, you probably had your... You know, just talk us through that day. I mean, how did it go on the match day? Because it must have been a wicked vibe. Yeah, you're obviously excited. Um, it, it's a different game, it's a different occasion. It's actually surreal because it's a game with no pressure. Every other game that you play... Uh, at any level when you're playing at your own level you expect to win that game um, or you hope to win that game and you're prepared to win that game whereas Chelsea I think we prepared to win it and we, we um, thought we had a chance you know we weren't massively overawed but realistically it's a game about pressure you know if, you know, if you'd played uh, if you play 100% of your ability and Chelsea play 100% of their ability they're going to beat you I mean that's, that's fat that's the reason why they get paid what they are and where they are in the league so there is a little bit of you know shackles are off and you can go play with a bit of freedom um, but it was very much a feeling of excitement the lads were a little bit giddy beforehand I suppose a little bit of chat about whose shirt you're going to get I know fans don't believe don't want to hear you say that but you are um, yeah it was good it was just really really good day I remember it the atmosphere was fantastic it was it was just really good. I mean, the only shame was the pitch, to be honest, but even that worked in our favour a little bit. It was a little bit mucky at the time, I remember, a little bit bobbly, and probably was a little bit of a leveller. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was. And as well, also, did you, did you ever look at the... Did you see the Chelsea team's faces and, and Rafa's faces when they sort of walked into the away dressing room? Did you, did you catch that at all? 
Do you know what? I didn't manage to do that. I'd have liked to have seen it. I mean, yeah, I think the English lads sort of have played in them games before and might have seen it and maybe have come through from a lower level. Um, you know, the KLs might have might have seen it before, whereas I think uh, the foreign lads might have might have been a bit of a shock to them. Uh, it's quite tight down that that tunnel at Griffin Park. It's quite intimidating for any any team that comes down because it is tight, and you're right opposite the, the away dressing room, so you can hear hear everyone getting ready. You can hear what music they've got on, and obviously our atmosphere is a little bit more lively than than in other games. So I, I can't imagine it was great, but I didn't actually see their faces when they were arriving. <laughs> and Uwe Rosler, what did he say to the team? before the match. <laughs> Uwe, I mean, I, I don't know specifically what he said, but you know Uwe, very professionally, he'd have been, I remember in the build-up, he was trying to treat it as another game, and, and um, you, you know, I think deep down he really thought we could win, and, and I admire that about him, he thought that, that we could win the game, and he prepared to win the game, um, that's the way he is as a character. So I remember he tried to keep it as normal as possible, didn't want the lads treating it as an occasion, wanted them to treat it as a game. Uh, I think it was always obvious, you know, discussions we had, we we really wanted to win the league, you know, and win League One at the time. Um, but Uwe is just like that. He just kept it very simple and, and very much like a normal game and prepared to win the game, really. It wasn't anything out of the ordinary for him. Um, didn't come out with any big speech or anything like that. Uh, I think he genuinely went there, thought we had a good chance, and as proved, we did. Yeah, we did as well. And we were 2-1 up in the game, you know, Trotter... And, and a great goal from Forrester as well. You know, two and up with, 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 I think, seven minutes to go. And I know you were on the bench for 79 minutes. So, I mean, it must have been quite nerve-wracking. But, you know, they brought you on. And did you think, we're going to hold on to this then? Is that what your thought was? Well, yeah, you, you mentioned Harry there. Harry was in the form of his life. And I remember he caused some problems. He scored a great goal. And, um, he was really hot around that street, Harry Forrester. Um, but I just, I'd come on from in a few games towards the end when he tired. He, he's quite a high intensity player and he tired towards the end. And, you know, my instructions were to go on with 10 minutes to go. And they just brought on Azpilicueta to play right back instead of Ivanovic, who I remember. And he was bombing up and down the right. And I think Harry had let him go once or twice. So I was brought on to sort of deal with him. Uh, bombing on down that side we were 2-1 up and as a sub I mean any sub will tell you when you come on and you're winning just by one margin it's horrible because you, you feel a bit responsible if they go and score uh, which they went and did so it wasn't great from a personal point of view but you know they, they were throwing a kitchen sink at us and, and they had a lot of chance in the second half and they're, they're quality players so the aim was to hold on and we thought we probably could and uh, just didn't manage to I mean Torres came up with the goods didn't he in the end yeah he did you know and um I mean, how was the vibe after the game? Because, I mean, not be funny, two was a pretty, pretty decent result, but it kind of might have felt like a bit of a loss to you, was it? I wouldn't say so. No, I wouldn't. I mean, it would normally, you know, in a, obviously a league game or something like that, or when you concede in the last 10 minutes, you're always, you're always gutted. And I think the lads thought they could win and it would have been great, but I reckon, you know, the lads might have been disappointed, but I think the, the board and people above were actually more happy with the draw because we got to go and earn a big payday and another big day out. Um, going to their place so I can imagine it was um, you know the players might have been a little bit upset and felt like a loss but for the club it was probably for the good that it went to, to a replay Yeah and, and the following match I mean obviously I know you didn't take part but obviously you're still part of the team part of the squad uh, we're going down to Stamford Bridge how did that match differ was there a sort of slightly different vibe going into that match Yeah from a personal point of view I was it was a different scenario for me because I, I, I knew I was going to be a, a, 
you know, I didn't have a chance of playing or coming on, whereas the other one I did. So I would just enjoy the occasion, really, going down to Sanford Bridge. And I think it was more of an occasion of it. We thought we had a chance at home. I think away, you know, you have to play. Chelsea had to play below probably 80 90% for you to have a chance. So we, we knew it was going to be really tough. Um, it was a nice day, I remember. My vivid memory of that was... Um, Reezy, Jake Reeves getting knocked out by uh, David Luiz. Remember that? I don't know if you can remember, but yeah, um, yeah, that was that's my vivid memory of it. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was a shame. Once they score at the start, you, you don't really think you. It's hard to come back from when they concede first. So it was a good day out, and we all enjoyed it afterwards. I've got to say, the Chelsea lads were fantastic. They were great. I mean, they uh, John Terry, Frank Lampard invited us into the changing room. I'm, I was sitting in the changing room to chat with. Frank Lampard afterwards and got his shirt even though I didn't play and it was just really good about it you know I think they, they realised it was a big occasion for us um, and, and we were very accommodating so I mean Brentford go into this game with Chelsea with and I'm going to say on paper a better team than we had in 2013 and this is not disrespect to any players I'm just saying because obviously we're in the championship we, we played this on paper it's a better team but Chelsea are all a better team, um, you know, as well. So, I mean, obviously we had the momentum because we were going into sort of Division 1 sort of kind of playoff zone then, and today we're kind of faltering a little bit, but we're doing all right. We've got some good players there. Do you think we're going to give Chelsea a good match? I think a lot will be dependent on how much they change their team. I mean, I know there's an argument that says they can bring on 11 changes and they'd still be a strong, but it's not the case. I mean, that, that winning team, if they put out the same team that's won all the games, it's going to be very, very difficult because they're in a winning momentum. They're beating Premier League sides comfortably at the minute. So if they keep that same team or the same nucleus, it's going to be very, very tough. But if they change it up a little bit and yet they have new people coming into important positions, I think you always have a chance because you don't have that continuity as a side. Um, so, so they'll know that and they'll know it'll be tough and they'll have to play their way into the game for the first 20 minutes get familiar with each other so there'll be very much more of a chance if they change the team and it's quite obvious to say but it will make such a big difference the team sheet an, an hour and a half before kick-off So as we go into the game on Saturday I mean you've got a little bit of added interest in there because you, uh, you look after a couple of players who are going to be involved in the game you look after Romain Sawyers and also Jack Bonham it must be a bit of a strange one for you yeah, I'm very excited for them. I mean, Romain scored in the last game, a great goal in the Eastleigh. I think the step up of Calibre we're playing against will be um, slightly higher, obviously. He's actually got previous Romain against Chelsea. He played for them against Warsaw and was by far a standout player in that game, was, was man of the match um, against them. Um, so, you know, Romain's one who will enjoy playing against better players and, and enjoys the occasion. So I'll be very excited to see how they get how they get on. I mean, Jack, he, I think he thought he might have a chance playing against DC, and I did too, um, but didn't change the team like we were just talking about previously. You don't always change the team for the cup games, but if he does get a run out, he'll be equally as excited. I mean, it'd be daunting facing the likes of um, Costa or Hazard, whoever they put out for him as a goalkeeper. Um but yeah, no, I've, I've obviously got a more invested interest. In, I've, I've followed Brentford closely anyway, but with them too, it's, it's even more so, and I hope they can produce some bit of magic. So, Scott, could I be so brave as to ask you, you can give us a score prediction? Heart or head? Um, I, th I think my head will be tough, um, but I'm going to go with, you know, a bit of an upset. I was actually at the game when Bradford beat uh, Chelsea 4-2. Um, strangely enough from all my good friends place for Bradford and so I can see that it can happen so I'm going to go for two all draw again
Excellent. Two all draw we're going to do. I'm going to hold my score back for later when we chat with the lads uh, in the studio. And, uh, I mean, obviously, you're going to be getting down there on Saturday. What's your preferred mode of transport? Is it going to be helicopter, boat, plane, you know, kind of submarine? How, how are you get down to Chelsea? I mean, I'll probably get a helicopter. Yeah, I might land it at Stamford Bridge. I think that's what we're doing now, yeah. Excellent. If we can hit your ride, actually, I'll give you a call. <laughs> yeah, no problem. All right, Scott. Good chat to you, mate. Cheers, Billy. Big match alert, Chelsea on Saturday, FA Cup. And uh, actually, hold on a second. Hold on a second, wait, hold, wait, wait, hold on a second, wait, hold on a second, hold on a second. I've, I've just noticed, actually, because, you know, as we come, we're in the banker uh, just by the river, overlooking the river again. All sorts of boats have gone past as well. And like I said, we've, we've actually dressed ourselves up here as well today because we, we were an esteemed, you know, company today and we didn't want to let ourselves down because we know that Chelsea are so blinging, so blinging. And, you know, we're just little old Brentford, so we had to bling ourselves up. But... What I didn't notice is Gary is actually wearing diamond encrusted loafers today. I mean, I can't believe it. I mean, listen, I thought all these sort of it's all a fallacy, but it's all true about you, Chelsea characters. You're just you're just, just, just you're just reaming in in cash and and and, and on ostentatious, isn't it? it? Roman gave them to me. It was um, it was one one after one game. I'd lost a shoe, and he uh, he came along with his diamond encrusted loafers and. Uh, they, they fitted and I uh, I accepted. I could see that as well. Hold on a second. There's, there, uh, there's there an update. There is actually there's an update. There's an update. There's actually an update because Florian is uh, is still doing his medical. It's about ten o'clock at night now. Pissotted sources. Yeah, Pissotted sources says that actually he's one of those um one of those uh, those things those orange things where you 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 sit on and you you're bouncing up and down like you know what I'm saying. It's like you know you know like you, 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 I can't remember. Space ball, space hoppers, space hopper. So he's doing. He's done, apparently he's, he's done. He's done fifteen. He's done fifteen space hoppers. So it's thumbs up for that. But still, he's still got about three or four. And you've heard some as well. Well, apparently there's some some kabaddi going on now and then he's, um, he's on his own he's on his own versus he's got um, Devlin Crown Giles and Chapman and he's got to get to the other side it's like British Bulldog but Dutch Bulldog but slightly different but he's, he's fast apparently so oh, he should God. he should win that easily he's like a gazelle mate yeah. it's like a, he's, he's, you know, he's like a gazelle like uh, a, actually word on the street is that he's actually won the kabaddi as well so he's it? yeah he's done that, that one official, he's through he's through the sorted sources say <laughs> he said that he's through the kabaddi we've got I think there's about there's only two more that he needs to do as well He's an official player. Apparently, he's Apparently, one of them is that he's got to put his finger on his nose and walk on a white line for 50 yards. White lines don't do it. Apparently, white lines don't do it at all. Like I was saying. So, apparently, just just 50 yards he needs to walk. He said it's not going to be a problem at all because you know he can walk for 200. He can he can run. I'm worried for him. I'm worried. And why is that? Well, you know, he doesn't he doesn't know the territory, does he? No, it's true actually, because he's come over from Europe. So at the end of the day, he's continental. Yeah, that's right. He's continental. Yeah, in a couple of years' time, he won't be allowed here anyway. No, well, yeah, good riddance. Yeah. So we just got him in early, haven't we? Yeah, Brexit means Brexit, doesn't it? At the end of the day. Right, well, uh, you, we, we, we won't go on about that. Listen, Chelsea matches on, and uh, we'll update you later if there's any more information on. Uh, Florian's medical because it's very important because if he doesn't pass the medical he's not going to be at Brentford but we want him to be here and at the end of the day if he can't put his finger on his nose and walk in a straight line then it's all over for him Is there any news on um, Cliff Crown's latex glove? No we won't talk about that we'll move on listen um, Gary Brentford are playing Chelsea we're going to smash you up I mean simple <laughs> Are you talking about the fans or, or yeah, the players? Yeah, 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 everything. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so listen listen you're obviously scared aren't you? 
quivering. Uh, not really, no. I know that sounds very um, complacent, but no. Um, I think you see what Chelsea did to Posh, sorry, Peterborough United, in the, in the last round. Just shows that. I'm not being funny, mate. You, you're trying to equate us to those lot, lo- them lot. What, what the Fenlanders? No, um, no I, I just think what, what I mean by that is that it was a professional performance when when Chelsea played against them, and, and it was a, a controlled, composed performance. And I think that's what you'll see on, on Saturday as well. That you know, Conte's a manager that doesn't really accept. You know, um, below par performances. There's only been a few this season, and I think the way that he trains the players, that no matter who he brings in, they're going to be up to speed, and they're going to know how they're playing. And I'm not sure Brentford are going to be capable of matching this uh, 3-4-3 that, that he's, he's uh, playing this season. And I think they've got good enough players to come in and, and do do a job. And I think that you know Chaloba will probably start, and he'll do a number. Of, yeah. Well, for McEachern it will be. I think he'll do a number on McEachern and stop him playing. And I think Batshuayi, it'll be a handful for um, your defenders to have, for, for your, uh, your defenders to take. And I think Pedro played as a, uh, a right wing back last time against uh, Peter United. I think he might do the same and give um, give uh, Moses a rest, and then maybe Nathan Ake on the left. Um, so I think Chelsea got options and they, they've got good options as well so it might, it might be a second string as such but I think that um, it'll be a good side that they put out I, I, I like your confidence I like, I like this sort of confident yes we're going to put out a second string side inverted commas but we're going to beat you and it's interesting because Patsy Nevin one of your old Chelsea boys as well he was adamant that Chelsea must play their fringe players I mean there's this whole malarkey like with us we played a load of fringe players in the cup and we just got knocked out so we've started to play first team players lower rounds than this but for Chelsea it's a different scenario because obviously you're focused on the league the Champions League all sorts of stuff so he's saying look for you to last out the season you need to play your fringe players now you seem very comfortable with that yeah they're not in the Champions League this year so obviously that's that's an easier option for them because they haven't got so many games but I uh, loyal. For, I, I, I think for a manager like Conte in his first season, we do forget this his first season, and and he's got a squad of players that you know failed miserably last year, and, it, and he's dealing with a transition that's been prolonged at Chelsea as well, and he, he's still trying to find his best team. He's still trying to find a way of getting Cesc Fabregas in our side, and I, I just think that you look at it, and that there's some fringe players there that have got a lot to prove, but also they've got a lot to prove in the fact that they can become key players for Chelsea. You know, we've, we've spoken about it earlier, about the youth team and the problems that Chelsea got. These are the games that if Nathaniel Chaloba and Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Nathan Ake are going to be first-team players for Chelsea, they need to be turning up on Saturday and not only just playing, but outperforming championship players. And if, if they can't do that, then they're not good enough. But I think they are good enough and I think they'll play them and they're, you know, they're fully aware of the system they need to be playing in and, and what's required of them. And I think they'll go out and they'll do a good job. The Ellard, listen, I mean, look, we ain't got anything to lose with this game, which is it's quite nice for us to a certain extent. You know, we got a Wigan, and to be quite honest, we were expected to beat Wigan, but we got a Chelsea. We've got absolutely nothing to lose. And also, like, you know, you've got McEachern is coming in. He wants to prove himself against his old team. We've got people like Vibay who wants to prove that he's better than Hogan. So this would swing in our favour, couldn't it? Um, yeah, it could. Um, I... You know what I'm like. I always try and get a bit, little bit technical. So system. I'm interested in system. Um, I watched. I've watched Chelsea a couple of times this season, and they play three at the back, like we are attempting to do at the moment. Um, and what I've noticed with Chelsea is that they get the width 
that the wing back gets is amazing because they will literally play to the width of the pitch. Whereas when we play the way we're playing at the moment with the wing backs, the wing backs tend to get dragged across with the ball and they go like, you know, you can't see what I'm doing, but I'm doing these sort of sideways movements. Whereas I thought it was the beers actually. Well, it was actually I was doing I was doing some of the fitness tests, but. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, whereas what I've seen at Chelsea is that they actually stick to the width of the pitch. So they'll they'll quickly move the ball, long one long ball um, from one side to the other. So it'll be quite interesting to see how we match up against that. Um, I think we can do ourselves justice. Um, what will be interesting, again, is are we going to go and attack? And I think, I literally think if we do play three at the back, the interesting thing is who's going to play left wing back? And I reckon if Tom Field plays, we're going to go for it. If Barbe plays, we're not going for it. We're, we're going to try and match a man-to-man. I'm really quite worried, if I'm honest with you. Um, I've, I've Chelsea are better equipped for this game than we are. Um, I, I, I just think Brentford need to actually attack them. Let's not, let's not be clever. We need to just go there and just, just go toe-to-toe with them. And then we just see what happens on the day. Um, we, we, we are we are massively underdogs. We're actually we're probably more underdogs than we actually want to admit. You know, that they you know just look at the look at the numbers, mate. You know, we 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 have got some really good players. We are mid-table championship at best. Um, Chelsea are going to be champions of the Premier League this season, so that's what we're up against. Um, if we can keep it below a three-goal margin, I'll be really happy. We, we could get a draw. We can bring them back to Brentford. If Chelsea play badly and we play well, we can get a draw. If we can win, it'll be a miracle and it'll be the, probably the best day, best day ever. And that's not being that's not being kind of like stupid. You know, it will be. Chelsea are probably or arguably the best team in the country at the moment. And we we certainly aren't. So if we can get anything out of the game, it'll be a miracle. Score prediction. One all. One all. <laughs> After all that, the Allards. Um, realistically, I think we'll probably go down about three one. The Chelsea podcast massive. Three uh, nil. That, that's that's not with being complacent and being disrespectful to Brentford either. I just think that. If, if, you, if, if they go there and they try to play toe-to-toe with Chelsea, one team has tried to do it this season, and that was Everton, and they got smashed 5-0, and they got absolutely annihilated. And ever since then, teams have set up you know, a certain way, tried to stop Chelsea playing. Man City can do it. You know, United can do it. Spurs are the only side who did it, and that's just because of the players they got. And I think that any, any team that tries to go toe-to-toe with that Chelsea team in that system is going to lose. And talking about the width... What's so key to that width is that the players, it's the, con, it's the Conte mantra. You see him on the on the touchline and he's always constantly pointing, pointing, pointing at Alonso and Moses that he wants them on the touchline. He, you know, it's, it's that old saying of he, he, wants to, he wants to chalk on their boots. And I think that's really interesting because from what I've seen, I, I, you know, Dean Smith isn't very vocal, but from what I see from Brentford is that Bentley is doing exactly the opposite. When he has a goal kick, he's waving the wing back in, whereas for me, you should be waving yeah, out. Yeah. And then what, what that does is, by those players playing so wide, is that had, uh, they're not, they're not going to play in those positions on Saturday, but Hazard and Pedro, in those traditional, you know, harking back 50 years ago, inside forward positions, got the inside left and inside right, by Moses and Alonso being so far wide, that gives those two so much room, just because they've got to be picked up. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't mean that they're getting man-marked, but you see 
the left back or the right back will just edge out a little bit and that extra two yards or three yards gives that room to Pedro and Hazard to go and do what they're doing which is why you're seeing Pedro play like the player he was at Barcelona because he's playing not only in the position where he was at Barcelona but he's got the space to do it and he didn't have that last season it was so congested at Chelsea whereas now they've got the freedom of movement they've got the space and when you give players like Hazard Pedro and Diego across the space they're going to make you pay for it and from our point of view I mean for me I find it very difficult to actually go anti-Brentford you know in any predictions but I mean just talking about our team for the Chelsea fans are out there as well they'll give you the thing you know defensively we were brilliant at the beginning of the season Lately, we kind of prone to mistakes, but still, we've got some good players out there. You know, up front recently, I mean, Scott Hogan will probably not play on Saturday. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not rocket science, you know, to know that he probably won't play. There's all sorts of malarkey going with him. But interestingly, that we have played, we're like Jekyll and Hyde. So one minute we're rubbish, and the next minute we're brilliant. We brilliant against Newcastle, we lost, but you know, we're rubbish against uh, Wigan. But you know, the way that um, that that that, that, that Vibe has been playing with, with with Sawyers, and he played with Sawyers, and, and, and you know, and, and the match against Eastleigh, and also the match against Newcastle gives us hope because at the end of the day you sort of think that maybe he might thrive against a team like Chelsea you give us a little bit more space you might say okay we'll hammer you but at the end of the day is that you know we know that we need one opportunity if we get the opportunity we need to score the problem in this league is sometimes you get the opportunity but you don't put the ball in the back of the net but this time we know that if we get the opportunity we need to score so I'm just thinking that actually with the, the setup that we've got We've got some very good players, some skillful players. Hopefully, if we get the opportunity, we might do that, give you a bit of a game. And I'm thinking it might be a bit of a one-all. Laney, just a quickie. Yeah, well, you, you often find this in these games where you get your chance and you fluff it. it, it you know, the lower league team normally doesn't rise to the occasion. The only, the only time I can remember where, where a team goes to Chelsea and wins was Bradford a few years ago. And, you know, that was against all odds, a, a bit of a freak, a bit of a fluke. Not a fluke necessarily, but it was a bit of a freak result. You know, we've got, we've got to expect that. So you're talking about a once-in-a-generation kind of result to come our way. It's unlikely. You know, we, but we, 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 you know, we, need to, we need to be on our A game. Obviously, you need to be on our A game. Listen, this is the Besotted Pride of West London podcast. We're at the Banker. We've got our... You know, we've got our, you know, stuff in our eyes. We've got, you know, we've got gold, go spanking sort of knickers on, and all sorts of stuff. Like you know I'm saying, <laughs> not me. This is this lady. This is Laney. This is Laney. You know what I'm saying. So, yeah, purple ties, eyes pierced, all sorts of. We got, we got all sorts of stuff going on in the banker because we wanted to impress. We got the Chelsea boys in the house, and we wanted to impress them to show us that we knew exactly what's going on. Listen, we got a big match Saturday. We're going down there, car by train by bus by helicopter boat everything we're going down there is going to be a right laugh if we're having a little bit of an early breakfast so just message us or email us if you know what's going on as well um, then the medical's still going on we've got no idea whether or not Florian is a Brentford player he's, he's not, not a Brentford player as well apparently he's doing the top shelf that's right he's, he's, he's having a few he's having a few yeah he's on the unicycle that's right he's having a unicycle at the moment now very much thanks to the Chelsea podcast. We've got Gary Hayes and the Chelsea podcast fan as well. We've got Lady here. We've got the Allard and my name is Billy the Bee. But as we say, I don't care if Chelsea's in the house because we are the bees. We're in the banker. We're by the river. And this is going to be a big game for us. As we say, come on, you Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. 
Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.